0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hey y'all welcome back to a thursday july 6 2023 edition here on the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq uh, Matt Green fellow University of North Georgia alumni on the program today because it is Thursday so uh, we talked all things college football here on the full ride right here on the Chase Thomas podcast we talked about uh, why Mizzou is getting some preseason top 25 love the Vols SEC title odds and where they fit and then uh where the SEC title odds are a month out from the start of the season, a little over a month. Um the I receiver room not making the top ten in a big list, which is pretty surprising. Uh Brock Bowers, if he's on his way to being one of the best offensive college football players of all time. Uh UGA getting doubted uh for a three peat potentially. And then we break down our uh college football top twenty five Head coaches right now uh it was a really really fun exercise uh, work guys fell Saban, kirby brian kelly jim harbaugh daba lincoln riley josh heupel um and it was uh it was a lot of fun uh parsing through that so i think you guys will like uh that portion uh, especially here on this program we've also got five star preps jesse smithy here to talk about uh the west uh rebels title run this past year and uh the three part series that they've done over on youtube that's fantastic that uh you should go check out as well um his experience covering east tennessee and how uh east tennessee high school football has grown so much since he first started covering them uh outco and maryville and where they're headed as programs and why uh Good things are on the horizon for both. If West can repeat, Bearden popping up a little bit, uh, Gibbs finally getting home games uh, next year. Why that'll be extra special. Gatlinburg Pittman maybe in the dark horse team to watch here in East Tennessee this year. Why Derek Rank's probably a good fit at Oak Ridge and should be good. Um, and Shavar Young at Webb. Why he's one of the most uh, most highly sought after east tennessee football recruits in a long time over at web so all that and more coming up uh with jesse as well as matt talking all things college football and east tennessee high school football so fun fun show for you guys today here on this very show if this is your first time checking out the chase podcast first of all thanks for uh checking out the show uh this is a daily national show out here in east tennessee um, where we cover it all sports renaissance man a little bit of everything um and on thursdays you do college football plus uh some awesome guests like uh jesse smithy of five star preps so go subscribe five star preps.com today if you have not already done so to get ready for this latest high school football season here in t um but, yeah, if you are a first timer, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Never miss a future episode, of new episodes every single day. So make sure you're locked in if you uh, are not already. And then, if you are a returning subscriber, you don't know what I'm about to say. Go ahead and make that uh, five star rating and write a review. If you can, here, uh, just hit that pause button right now and uh, take care of it. It's really easy, really simple, and it helps this show continue to grow. helps so other people find the show. And all that good stuff. And then, of course, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. you can read us at, at pod Chase Thomas, Facebook, facebook.com slash writer, And then the new website coming up very, very soon. So very excited about that to share with you guys. And then, of course, you can watch these shows on YouTube if you would like to do that as well. YouTube.com slash Um Like and subscribe. All that good stuff. All right. Thursday. July 6th, 2023 edition, Matt Green, Jesse Smithy, Uncle Darren. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My nephew needs me to record. See, I I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, 100 mil in the bank. Officially, uh, for L and S, as Tennessee baseball becomes the biggest and best baseball program in college baseball year over year, College World Series appearance two out of three years, Tony Vitella number one recruiting class in 2024, many are saying the top top balls in the sport, and with everything School HQ in full force, building their own battery, starting in the next year on the river on the Tennessee River over here. I mean, everything just coming up, uh, up Knoxville, up Tennessee right now. Um, Joe Milton hype video after Joe Milton hype video. It's, uh, it's everything's good here with the last little month off before fall camp is here. Recruiting in full swing, we'll see how that goes. I'm losing my mind every day as Tennessee fights to stay in the top 10 uh, in their, uh, with their 2024 class. But to talk all about only Tennessee and only Tennessee on this very program. It's my good friend from the University of North Georgia Alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? All right. I am uh, I'm good, sir. I
1: think that's just about enough Tennessee talk. <laughs> I think what do we, what do we get 2 minutes. That wasn't as long as you usually go. I will give you that. But um
0: we're but in yeah, the dog man. days of summer. Like it's just there's not a whole lot. So when Tennessee baseball gobbles up the headlines with killing it in the portal, number 1 team in the portal right now, might get the top I mean just so many big dudes out of the portal um, to replenish this roster. So they'll probably go into 2024 as a top two team once again in College World Series bound because they just they've built a juggernaut that's just not uh, not going anywhere here on everything School HQ. That's an, that that got us to two minutes. There you go.
1: There you go. So, uh, so yeah, I, I want to I wanna apologize first and foremost to our, to our most loyal listeners, um, you know, for, for missing a week like we did, you mm-hmm. know. Had, had, a, had to go to the Braves game, Ronald Acuna chain night, you know, I couldn't miss that. And uh, Ronnie hit two bombs, Braves got another win like they always do. Um, first inning, like it's, it's just becoming a joke at this point with the Braves, just that first inning. You can't miss it. You're going to miss like four
0: runs. Except for last night, where they loaded the bases and didn't score, and then they ended up losing in the tenth inning.
1: Hey, that'll happen sometimes. What mm-hmm. Was their first loss in It was nine straight before that? Just list a little, just half empty guy over here. What well, is, the reason I not say even that is, half empty. You're you're looking at like a ten percent empty. The Braves like the best team in baseball.
0: They're a lot like the 2022 Tennessee Volunteers baseball team. Where, oh, jeez. <laughs> Except for
1: everyone doesn't hate them.
0: Uh, I think the Braves have some they have some moxie. They have some juice. They I'm sure there are fans around the league that aren't are they enjoying a hated, this.
1: Are they a hated team? It doesn't feel like the Braves are a hated team. I mean, just, I guess the classic baseball people might not like what Ronald Acuña does with his yeah. chains and his pimping home runs, but man, I love it. I'm down mm. here in Braves country. I can't get enough of it.
0: It is funny though cuz like I got turned I my didn't wife. Didn't
1: get a chain though, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Oh. It wasn't for everybody, it was just a certain amount of people oh, when yeah. you first you get it. Oh yeah, you
1: gotta, like the outcast thing, people line up for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, like I want one, like I want to have, like I've, i discovered this about myself. I want to have memorabilia, but I don't, I don't care enough to put the effort to get the memorabilia, mm-hmm. you know, like the bobbleheads. Like I respect the people that have the hustle, that have the bobblehead collection, but it's just like getting to the game an hour before first pitch, uh, that's, that's just not my game. That's not my, it's not my style. Well, here's the other thing, and what what I do to get
0: all my like different merch and cool collector collector stuff and all that kind of stuff is um, eBay and anything after like Etsy, Poshmark, like this stuff will pop there up. I guarantee the Outcast memorabilia stuff will pop up on uh, on a service sooner rather than later. You know, no, I won't first.
1: lose any sleep. I think no. I think last Tuesday night was the night to wear your Ronald Acuna chain. I don't mm. I don't
0: foresee any
1: any future time that I'll ever wear that
0: no no that's a that's a tough one i did want the i remember at the hawks did a two chains night where they had the hawk jersey that uh, for the first uh, however many people got it had atl but it had like the chain like two chains and the number two it's pretty that was pretty cool pretty unique i was like i I would i would wear that like that is something i would wear the hawks two chains yeah t-shirt i would do although
1: you would think it'd be chains and not a shirt with chains but you know what can you do
0: what can, hey, <laughs> what can you do, Matt Green? Um, speaking of what you can do, Matt Green, which is tell us how many days we are away from the start of the twenty twenty three college football season.
1: Well, sir, if uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening on this this fine Thursday morning, like I know you do, first thing mm-hmm. when this pod comes out. We are 58 days till mm. college football season, and we're talking not week zero, not Thursday night, but that actual very first week one Saturday of college football. And uh, best 58 of all time I got, it's got to be Peter Bullwear, Florida State. Hmm. Probably the best 58 in the pros, too. Like one for, for one, 58 is not one of the sexier 50 numbers. You mm. know, like 55, 56, if they get a lot of studs, 51, uh, but you know you don't see as many 58s. I think Peter Boulware, uh I think he's got to be the best 58 of all time. Also, Ian Johnson, Boise State, great, uh, mm. fiesta bowl, sensation. Uh, he had 58 career rushing touchdowns at Boise State. So there's a fun fact for you as well for number 58. What about Tennessee? They, you got a number any number 58s over there?
0: I mean, Darnell Wright, who went top 10 in the draft this year, right tackle, um, five-star kid just awesome shut down will anderson in the alabama game just fine all year long just never never putting hooker in jeopardy all season long i mean if he has a long career in the nfl which he should i mean i think he's going to be the best 58 in college football history oh in college
1: football history he's not beating out peter bullwear that's what's
0: more important a, a good tackle or a linebacker or an elite
1: outside linebacker, NFL Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer. Wait, Absolutely. NFL Hall of
0: Famer is he NFL Hall of Famer? He... I don't know
1: that. I just said that. But he's <laughs> got to be right. Those rays. No. You know, him and Ray Lewis on those Ravens teams. I would say he's probably a Hall of Famer, right? He was like, he's like a ninety-eight on Madden kind of player. Like I feel like he was like a baller for a while. Um, I don't know that for sure, but uh, the first Georgia one I can think of is will thompson who mm. i remember will thompson's claim to fame he was on that 2005 sec championship team and i think his claim to fame was that he was the only player on the 2005 georgia team that uh, mark rick did not recruit he was like left mm. over from jim donnan but uh, he's like a 60 year senior i think at that point uh, but yeah like sterling bailey i want to say was a georgia player 58 I, I can't even i couldn't tell you who the current 58 is I think Sterling Bailey from East Hall. I want to say, wasn't it? Yeah. A ba-
0: I thought his boss Bailey was fifty-eight. Boss Bailey was forty-five. Okay. Sterling Chant Bailey.
1: Bailey was actually forty-two his freshman year. Was he and really? Then, uh, and then he rocked number four. He played safety at first, and then he hmm. switched to number four. Um, yeah, but he, Sterling Bailey isn't part of that ba- Bailey clan because yeah. there's. Ronald Bailey, that also played at Georgia, that was also one of the Baileys. I, I want to say he was like a defensive back, or I'm not even 100% sure. Mm. Also, Roland is uh, is Champ Bailey's name.
0: Roland really? Bailey.
1: I, I, and I'm forgetting Boss Bailey's, because Ronald, he's Roland, and maybe it's like Rodney Bailey or something like that. It, it's I want to say it's another R name, but yeah, Champ.
0: They went with Champ. It's a badass name, though. Champ Bailey is like a Hall of Famer name.
1: Yeah, Champ and Boss, like yeah. uh, especially for like dog names. I've I've met so many people that have, like Georgia fans have named their dogs like Champ or Boss. A lot
0: years. of Munsons, a lot of people name their dog Munson. I think that's like the most like oh you're a Georgia fan. Like anyone who if you hear their dog is named Munson, it's like okay.
1: Right. Oh, and we literally named our dog Bailey. Our my parents' old dog was Bailey, because a champ and boss. So, Wasn't
0: yeah. the weird one that you talked about that was left? That was gonna upset she your was, mom. She was
1: Bailey. Was the uh, the abused? Uh, ch- not abused, but like just rattled. She was just shell shocked from day one. She like hid from people. She just didn't like people. But mm. uh, I think I we think Maddox is like the exact same breed though, like some mm. kind of Rottweiler Shepherd mix.
0: Mm. Well, there you go. Um, you went the Braves, out yeah i don't know if the next dog we got Khaleesi, game of thrones i always did the kind of game of thrones non-sports name but i don't know what i would do if i did a sports dog i don't know what vol i would do it's a good question nico it's pretty easy we'll have to, uh hey that could be a good one nico could end up being a good one um well there you go matt green it's kind of wild we are very very close we say 58 and it sounds like it's a good distance but July's going to fly by big recruiting month June flew by and then August is just, we're here. It's go time. It's, uh, Georgia's
1: class is probably going to be done by the end of July. I can't imagine how many more guys they can get 23 commits. They're now sitting with here on July 5th and maybe three or four more in like the next week.
0: Well, it's interesting. Like Tennessee, we'll see what happens with the five-star Elijah rushing tomorrow, Arizona kid. It's probably down to Arizona, Tennessee and Oregon um jordan ross uh, they need william satterwhite the guard um the four-star guard to commit to the balls on friday because rona connell uh in-state kid ended up going to clemson three or four star depending on your service uh committed to clemson and then i mean tennessee i think will be done with a majority of their class by the end of july because like we've talked about in this show like most classes are pretty much wrapped up by the start of the high school football season because a lot of guys just want to get it done and coaches probably want to get it done parents want to get it done. Not do the in season visits and all that kind of stuff because this is the time like you're going to campus, OVS, all that kind of stuff. You get to spend a lot more time with the coaching staff, the players, in the class and all that. But once school starts, it's not as easy to get up and go to games and that sort of thing. But there is a value to holding out for a couple spots. Like Aaron Carter is probably gonna end up being the out the best defensive player in this class for Tennessee, and he was a running back to start last year uh, at his school, and then he finished as a linebacker and it's now uh that tennessee had to completely shield off alabama from getting him late in the process um to join their linebacker room and he's probably gonna play it's it's just kind of crazy how recruiting goes and how these senior seasons and you have to be careful with some of it because you're like i what if one of these kids pops and goes from a four star to a five star um with a crazy senior year um so you don't want to be completely done but you want to have the majority of your class set in stone because that's just the nature of the beast but i was looking at 247 and on three and looking at the commit list right now and like bama has what three or four commits total and you're you're looking at like tennessee's right there in the top 10 but i'm like there's a lot of teams right now that don't have anybody committed like they're just waiting and that means like there's going to be a just a uh crazy crazy windfall of recruits committing sooner rather than later because there's a lot lot of
1: of the opposite too though bama is mm. sitting is at 10 commits that is a little low. Um, but they're at twenty, the twenty fifth ranked class. If you look at the top twenty classes, there's like seven teams already that have over twenty commits. Yeah, and like I feel like that's that's a lot for not we're really not even into the month of July yet. Like a couple yeah. days into July here, so it feels like it's yeah. There's just some teams that are off to that hot start, some teams that aren't. Because like if you look at Florida right now, mm. like I'm really curious to see where Florida ends up because like there was that. Tennessee class with with Pruitt What was that 2020 when in in the summer they were just absolutely loaded like 1820 commits or something maybe even into the 20s But it was just so obvious you could tell by the average rank It's like no once everyone else starts getting commits This is not gonna be that high of a class like you look at Florida at third like they're, they're like fourth or fifth in terms of like highest average recruit right now. So mm-hmm. if they can continue to get like the level of prospects they're getting, like this class actually could potentially end up top
0: five or so. That's fair. Um, but we'll see uh, if they can end long up. Long way to go. Long way to go. Um, speaking of long way to go, uh, Missouri, before we get into our main event, which will be ranking our top 25 current co- college football coaches – um, that's going to be a lot of fun parsing through our list here. And it's going to annoy some fan bases because there are some omissions. It was hard um, to do some of these, but we I think it'll be fun exercise here in the offseason before we get into our conference preview series and then over the next couple of weeks. But this is something that I've seen a lot of over the last week, and I wanted to pick your brain here, Matt Green. Missouri popping up as a preseason top 25 team. And I don't know if I'm taking crazy pills, but I'm seeing this more and more. They're a sexy top 25 pick, preseason pick. And... I think it all stems from their returning production. They're ninth in uh, college football and returning production, ninth in defense, 25th in offense per Bill Connelly of ESPN.com. Um, for reference, Florida State returns the most amount um, of production at 87%. Michigan, uh, 81%. Uh, at number five, A&M, 80%. And then Missouri rounds out the... The big the the big dogs in returning production, uh, stats. So I don't know. Brady Cook is still under center, and I saw a lot of this Mizzou offense. Like maybe people are like they played Georgia tough. They kind of had, uh, some uh, an up and down year, but they're still recruiting okay. The wheels don't really fall off for Eli Drinkwitz. It's just very much like a six and six, seven and five type deal. So they probably like if a couple balls go their way, they have some one score game luck then. Maybe they can get to eight and four. I don't know. This doesn't feel like a top 25 team to me, does it, to you? No, not Pre-season at all. Preseason-wise.
1: Not at all. I'm I'm not really sure. It kind of feels like last year when the South Carolina hype was coming out of the summer, mm-hmm. and it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are, are you meaning to talk about Tennessee? Like, that <laughs> South Carolina is definitely not the, the dark horse here. Granted, they did win a couple games late, but that was to... Basically salvage what was a pretty mediocre season um, by the end of it. So I just don't know. Like I'm a guy who's actually kind of hyped up Brady Cook as much as anybody. Like I feel mm. like he's shown some signs of being kind of good, but I feel like I would. You're going on a limb to say this is like the fourth best team in the East. I feel like. Like I don't yeah. really. I feel like they. They look like they're clearly. The second worst team in the in the East. If I was predicting coming in today, be like obviously Florida's down there in terms of like the preseason uh, win loss totals, but it's like you just don't you still don't expect Florida to be at the bottom of the standings. You know, you you just expect Florida to be ahead of Missouri, and so it feels like it's I don't know going to be maybe, maybe South Carolina in, in Missouri kind of battling it out for fifth or sixth. Like I'm not really I'm not really sure where the Missouri buzz is coming from, other than like you said just. The one game they played against Georgia, they played in a
0: lot of other teams that weren't as good as Georgia and played much worse. Like Tennessee it, could have dropped a hundred on them if they wanted to. in Neil, like they were just bombing up. Like they didn't care. Like they were. I mean, we talked yeah. about it in the program. Like it, they're not close. Like Missouri is not close.
1: If anything, the
0: Georgia game was the was the outlier. Like right.
1: the, for for both teams. So there wasn't like a. It, it's almost like using the, 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 the South Carolina game to, to talk about what Tennessee was in 2022. It's like, well, that was the one game that, you know, they really played really poorly. Like, they, they also blasted LSU and Death Valley, and, and everyone wants to talk about the South Carolina game. So it's, you know, there's just those one games. It just kind of happens sometimes. And, like, I feel like that's what Missouri-Georgia was last year. Other than Brady Cook kind of showing some signs of potentially being good, like, he's going to have to be a superstar for Missouri to be an actual competitive team in the East next year.
0: They lost to a terrible Auburn team to open the year. They lost to Florida, a worse Florida team.
1: What, I'm, uh, they I'm, I'm not there's something them. about the Auburn game, though, that they should have won, right? There was something it was weird. Overtime. was overtime. overtime? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but maybe they blew it, or maybe they... Somehow they kind of got screwed. I can't. I can't remember exactly how it how it turned out.
0: Here's what There's it is though. About that they one. beat Arkansas to close the year, and I think that's something that people remember because that was a fun game. Like they did beat yeah. Arkansas, and that was a big win for them. That's their new basically SEC rival. They lose to Kentucky. Underrated rivalry.
1: The, yeah, the I would war.
0: agree. I would agree. It's an underrated rivalry. Uh, but like, this team. I mean, Tennessee has dropped like a hundred points on them. And two times like Eippel owned Eli Drinkwitz and this Mizzou team. Like that is it's just not even it's not even fair when these two get together. But like Kentucky you lost at home. And now you gotta go to Kentucky. You lo- you beat South Carolina on the road, but I think South Carolina will be better this year. You get them at home. I just don't even think this is a bull team this year. Like Kansas State blasted you on the road 40 to 12. Like you get Kansas State at home this time, that'll be nice, but Kansas State's gonna be good again. I just don't see this Mizzou team being a top twenty-five team. So if you're putting them in you your preseason have... top twenty-five, I'm like, I don't think no. they were eighty. What? I, like I think they were eighty. The preseason top eighty-six 25. in offense last year. This is not wow. a top twenty-five team. What are we talking about?
1: The preseason top twenty-five does this every year, yeah. though, and has like nine SEC teams in it. It's, it's like, like this. This isn't going to happen. They're not going to be uh, nine SEC teams. But uh, they do have Luther Burden, who you know was a five-star receiver. He showed some signs as a true freshman. He he could be a, a potential superstar, breakout player this year. But you know you're going to need more than a wide receiver and. You know, a pretty good offense. Like their defense was was pretty solid last year. So you, you there is something, and maybe there's uh, an assumption of what the Eli Drinkowitz can be. But I mean, at this point, it's like he's he's an offensive guru of a coach, right? In quotes. But whatever, whatever his offense has really been the whole time he's been at Missouri. Like Missouri actually yeah. was. Kind of a tradition of good offenses when you had the Drew Locke years and who was the offensive coordinator then? Eh, no one remembers that. <laughs> um, and I'm blanking who was before Drew Locke. It was before, Franklin.
0: It was was it, the Maddie Mock?
1: He was fine, Oh, Maddie
0: Mock. But I'm talking about Franklin when he was, when he was in the SEC bad, title though. game when they started. Was Franklin out.
1: the starter that whole year when they went to the SEC? Cha- well, they went he to two SEC
0: championships. I know you played um, Auburn in the SEC title game as the starter. Um.
1: But yeah, they so Missouri. Mm, I mean, Chase Daniel. Like they've had some like yeah. high-powered offenses, you know, in their history. So it's this has probably been as bad as it's been, honestly, for Missouri in the last decade plus or so. And um, Eli Drinkwitz at some point is going to like show what he does, what 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 he brings to the table for Missouri because they've just ever since Gary Pinkle left, they've been pretty mediocre. It feels like he's had a pretty long leash, like not much. Pr- hot seat talk really for how kind of mediocre they've been.
0: And I think they're going to be mediocre again. I mean, guess who had a better scoring defense last year, Tennessee or Missouri, Tennessee 33rd in the country. Like I just, I look at it and I'm like, I just, I don't see it. I'm not a Missouri believer. I could, you could sell me on South Carolina being a top 25 team. You can't sell me on Mizzou because if you believe in Kentucky, you believe in South Carolina, you believe in Tennessee, you believe in Georgia, there's no path like and even florida i think will be better than what they were a year ago but like i just don't see the wins for this missouri team and i don't see them being one of the 25 best teams in college football i think putting them in the preseason top 25 is an outlandish projection based on what them beating arkansas late and returning production I mean, vanderbilt could be better in
1: 2023 yeah. like they beat vanderbilt 17 14 last year <laughs> like who knows But there, there's some of those teams though, you know, the Mississippi States of the world that people tend to predict them near the bottom of the sec West. And they just, and they just end up like borderline ranked team a lot, lots of years. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what Missouri is. They might not, uh, they, they could be a little better than we think.
0: Maybe, uh, I'm not buying that stock. So if you want to buy that, go right ahead. Somebody's
1: got to be losing if, if Georgia and Tennessee and, uh, South Carolina are going to win some games
0: and Kentucky and Kentucky um Vols fourth best SEC title odds as a whole Matt Green so I thought this was pretty interesting so they're right behind Georgia Bama and LSU uh, in that order best odds to win the SEC per bet online coming into the year and just for reference um Vols are tied with AM uh, at that fourth spot and then behind them Ole Miss Auburn and then way back there, Florida, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, um, 10,000 to one for Vandy, which is pretty great. But South Carolina, 8,000, uh, plus 8,000 for that one. So um, I thought this was pretty interesting. But when you look at that and you see those early SEC title odds, what uh, what is your thought? And do you think Tennessee deserves to have the fourth best title odds coming into the year?
1: Yeah, I would say that's pretty justified because I think it kind of. I feel like the SEC kind of falls off a cliff after the top five, like having A and M and Tennessee tied for fourth. I I'm I've said a a couple times to you, I feel like I'm starting to get more and more like encouraged about Texas A and M. Like I think Mm. there's a potential. Like we know about the talent they have on that team. If they can just, if they can all be moving in the right direction, they could be really dangerous. So I. I would say that I, I think a and is going to be better than Tennessee this year, but playing in the SEC West, I think that's probably what makes them more equal is that Tennessee's the second best team in the East and that kind of improves their chances to get to the SEC championship and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I think Tennessee should take a step back and I, but it feels like Georgia, Alabama and LSU, maybe not in that order, um, I kind of feel like they're on a different tier than everybody else. And then Tennessee and A&M, and then after that, I feel like it's really a crapshoot.
0: I would agree. I would throw some money if it was next year, where the uh, where everybody's all in one conference, where it's like, that's worth it. Like, if you throw in the fourth odds, where the, they just take the top two teams in the title game, I just... I don't see a path to Tennessee making it to Atlanta over Georgia. Like I just don't see a path for them to be able to do that. So I think the better money is on A&M because I think the West is pretty muddled. And if you take the fourth or fifth best odds there, I would look at even Arkansas. Like I understand you don't have a strong track record there, but I, I would always bet on the best quarterback in the conference to do some stuff. And that's not a bad gamble um, with where Arkansas is coming into the year. And we talked about their schedule. It's pretty nice for them. So bounce back year for the hogs. Wouldn't surprise me. That's good value. Um, at like 80 to 1. Uh, I would still probably lean A&M just because of where they are with blue chippers. And if Bob Petrino is the Bob Petrino we saw in the SEC last time, speaking of Arkansas, they went to an SEC title game. Like, he delivered in a big way for the late Ryan Mallett, um, which was just a horrible story. But uh, that was, there's there a path, like you said, where it's like A&M is, I think, the pick here when I was going through this. They make the most sense to me. But it is interesting that people just can't shake the Alabama stuff where I'm like Alabama at number two, just when are we like, they should not be ahead of LSU. I just don't know what more we have to see LSU just beat them. They've passed them. I, they have a better quarterback. They maybe have the Heisman favorite quarterback. People forget like Jaden Daniels was the number two quarterback in his recruiting class. Like it's kind of forgotten that Jaden Daniels was a big time recruit coming out of Arizona, but like, I just, well
1: but it's been a while. He's, I think he's but I saying he has a talent. Bad. He has
0: a, he has the talent and, uh, he's a really, really good player and came on strong down the stretch this past year. And I think he's going to have a Heisman type year, but they have talent everywhere. And I just, Brian Kelly wins a lot of football games and Brian Kelly beat Saban in, in week one or in year one at home. I get it. Big play, big ballsy decision to go for two and end it that way. But like, I don't know how you have better odds for Bama over LSU at this point. I don't, I don't get it maybe just because you get I mean, LSU it's at home?
1: Alabama it's Alabama so it's like they are still I don't know they are still like obviously they feel like they've 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 fallen off a, a step but it's mm. like their two they're falling off was losing two games by a total of five points right like yeah or four points like so it's it's still a very thin margin like for what it takes for Alabama to uh to not win the West. So I think another thing, like if you look at Georgia, like the one time they haven't won the East since 2017 was the year they had to play Alabama in the regular season. Like if, if they don't have to play Alabama in the regular season in 2020 and mm. they lose to Florida, like they still would have been in the SEC championship because Florida had another loss um, or multiple other losses after they lost to LSU. So also good working against Tennessee is the fact that Georgia's schedule is just, one of the easier SEC schedules we've seen for a team this good, so there's really just so little room for error. It's it's basically beat Georgia and hope you only uh, lose one other game the rest of the season. Basically, that's pretty much what Tennessee's going to have to do to
0: to win the East, and that's that's saying a lot. That's fair, um, but I wouldn't do it. I would stay away for all the balls. If, if I was course.
1: taking one long shot bet, though, it'd be Arkansas.
0: Yeah, I of agree. Like
1: eighty to one, like KJ Jefferson could potentially be the best quarterback in the SEC, and and who knows what could happen. Especially when Alabama's not just had, just doesn't have the stranglehold on that division, mm. things could get really interesting.
0: And we've seen Arkansas make the SEC title game. We've seen them in um, New Year's Six games. We've seen them in that spot. And Sam Pittman's a good coach, so I would not be surprised if they were the team that uh, broke through this year. But we'll see. Man, um, he, he'd get
1: a lifetime contract if they won the West this year. <laughs> Honestly, it would be like Sam Pittman wouldn't have to do anything else. He made one SEC championship game. Like this is as good as it gets for Arkansas.
0: I feel like he already kind of has one. He's got the Hog statue. He's already said like this is a dream job. He loves Arkansas. It's he doesn't true, want to go but anywhere. he's
1: gotta he's gotta prove the win loss record a little bit. Like they're not they were loving him after twenty twenty one, but it's he still gotta win games
0: uh that's true but he's recruiting well winning i mean i don't know they it's do love him for sure um there was a some honorable shade.
1: mention though didn't quite make the top 25 which is just a, just a he teaser didn't need... thrown out
0: there that is true I, that's funny to think about he didn't make either of ours um there you go matt green uh the vols wide receiver room does not crack the top 10 and for pffs uh top 20 or top 10 2023 wide receiver rooms. Look, I don't think they're number one. There are a lot of good receiver rooms. Obviously, Ohio State, number one. The number one, number two aren't debatable with Texas and uh, Ohio State. Georgia in there at number four is kind of a misnomer because they're, ref- they're counting Brock Bowers, which. As you should. I don't think so. You if can't do counting, that. If you're counting, what
1: are you really counting when you're counting receivers? If, you're, you're counting the people who are going to be catching the ball. And all the people who are going to be catching the ball, Georgia's got just about as good a group as anyone in the country.
0: I guess when you throw that in there, like that shapes it. But I'm like, all right. But if you don't, it's like they're strictly wide receivers. I would not take Georgia's wide receivers ever who's going to start for Tennessee. Um, and I think most probably would not. Um, but that's not even my biggest gripe. My biggest gripe. Oh, here. yeah, we got something to say we're gonna dig into that. I mean, it's it's a pretty deep receiving core. It's deep, but it's unproven. Like Brew McCoy has proven to be a really good receiver. Mel Keaton has proven to be a really good receiver. We saw Squirrel White in big moments His- last year, and he was been good. Dante Thornton is a six five menace in that four spot. Like I just and we also have the history of these receivers developing, like the most amount of wide receivers in the NFL um over the last four years coming out of Tennessee. Like I but just that's don't. That's not hypal. No, it is hypo. Vellus Jones doesn't get ye- the last four years. Per, though that's not. Oh, well, that's I'm saying not he all developed hypo. those guys. Like he's developed those guys. Like I Sender trust they'll put a,
1: up good numbers for sure in Tennessee's system. And then, what where where, where Tennessee coming ranked? You say they weren't. They aren't in this
0: top ten, which I just it's just not reality. That is like, a
1: little surprising, but I mean go. Just going strictly referring to Georgia in terms of how proven they are, like Ladd McConkey and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint were both the starters last year. Dominic Lovett was one of the best receivers in the SEC. Lovett last is a good year. point. Ra rah Thomas was a very good receiver coming from Mississippi State. Um, who am I forgetting? Uh Dylan Bell a- is a-, a, a-, it was a true freshman. That was that's coming. Kind of like Arian Smith. That's that Arian that's the one yeah. that I forgot for sure. Um would love to have Ad Mitchell in this in this groove. That's gonna kill me. Seeing Ad Mitchell in that Texas uh, passing offense just balling out next year. Um, but I mean, I think this just strictly from a receiver standpoint, it's it's a pretty deep group for Georgia. They're in and, the top ten. Like and, I agree and that Bowers they're... on top of it. Like might be the is he the best player in the country that's not a quarterback? Like he's he's up there.
0: Yeah, I mean him, Blake Corum um it's a good question marvin harrison jr i think is in there uh i have to think about that but those are the ones off the top of my head that stand out um maybe jared I, verse uh, i would probably rank J-
1: marvin harrison jr ahead of him
0: yeah um but all that being said alabama making this list at number 10 actually upset me it physically hurt me to see alabama ahead of tennessee in this wide receiver room because this is not a top 10 like you mentioned uh Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond in this group and Ja'Cory Brooks, like Jermaine Burton. We saw it. Like this is not a top ten no. wide receiver room in the country. That's just not reality. You have some names there, but they were not productive at all last year. And is there those a are a lot of returning um, guys.
1: I'm not thinking of for Alabama that, that's coming
0: in. Benson, who was uh transferred in last year, didn't play, but that was yeah, a key. Yeah, it's like kid. like
1: where did Florida State come in on that list? Five, I think.
0: Yeah, it's like
1: that, okay, that makes sense. So I would definitely think Florida State should be up there. Um, mm. But, yeah, Alabama, I just I, I don't see that at all. I think that's literally what the weakness of the team was last year, was their receivers. And Bryce Young made them look better than they actually were. I think if, if they don't figure out the quarterback position, this receiver, this receiver group could look real bad.
0: Yeah, I just I they're getting the Alabama benefit of the doubt, where I'm like, yeah, Jermaine Burton and Corey Brooks are going to start again, and like probably Malik Benson, and I just don't think that's a top ten group um, in the country. Especially but not one, one. One thing
1: though, before um, we don't have to go on a whole thing about this, but I want to know I I've always been told as a uh, as a sports fan, I've always gotten mad about it over the years that the guys who win the championships are the best, right? Tom Brady's best got seven rings, like done, done deal. I'm always I've, always, I've always been an Aaron Rodgers guy. Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. I'm just watching them play. He's just more athletic, better arm, just makes plays. So I'm, that's, that's what the position is. Tom Brady's on a better team. So he wins more championships. However, if this is how we're doing, I want to keep this same energy, right? When do we start to talk Brock Bowers being like the greatest football player of this generation? If Georgia wins three national championships, like how absurd would that be, though? Let's be honest. Like, I'm not saying he should be right. I'm just saying people need to keep the same energy. If this guy's the the best offensive player on three straight national championship teams, like what is that legacy? Like, let's be be real, though. Like, you have to have this conversation with me. No, because what is this legacy?
0: What is this Georgia run going to be remembered for? I mean Jordan it, Davis. That was the, 2021 the, the twenty twenty one team. It's going to be remembered. No, Jaylen. The Carter. defense wasn't nearly
1: as dominant in twenty twenty two. The who's getting was, drafted?
0: It's all the defensive. Like you're getting linebackers who don't start like drafted in first the third round, round
1: picks or something from that defense. Group.
0: Tyndall didn't even
1: start. No, that's true. But this offense is averaging like forty points a game. If Brock Bowers also, this is a this is a new defense. Well, I guess the defense is going to be rowdy again this year. Oh my god! But I'm
0: saying, I'm sorry, America. We're
1: talking about tight ends. Can we at least say the greatest tight end of all time? Uh, y- y-
0: you could. Sell I mean, me on I that. think
1: he's got to be if he wins three national championships, like. Obviously, it's a team game, and the whole championship conversation is just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of lazy. But it's like, if that's what we do, if we have these first take, hot take conversations, and it's all about rings, like, Brock Bowers being, like, a three-time national champion, like, goes to the league, gets drafted top five or something, like, that's that's ridiculous. Like I think we have to consider what that legacy truly is. Like, and he could what be is a Heisman it? finalist. Like, what if he's a Heisman finalist this year?
0: He's not because Titans don't make the Heisman finalists.
1: Uh, left tackles didn't make the the Heisman either until Orlando Pace came along, and most people would agree Orlando Pace is one of the, the greatest players of a generation. Wherever you want to rank offensive linemen, it's kind was that, of what up thirty to you. years ago. Of course, he's one of the all time greats, is he not? But what I'm saying is, when was the, when when is it defensive since? tackles don't make the Heisman ceremony? But Sue came along and he had an absurd season. I I'm mean, just saying. These, these things happen, and Brock Bowers, we've all, like, we all agree. Like, we watch this man play. We've never seen a tight end like this. Like, this is, it's, they we, we, they they call jet sweeps to this man. He breaks 70-yard runs. Like, this, it's insane. I've never seen a tight end do this. I think if he has the same type of season he had freshman, sophomore year, I think he's in the Heisman ceremony this year. Well, you're George after, if that- Georgia's undefeated, number one, like. I think a lot of it has to do with the team's success, but it's like of the whole narrative and everything. But I think if he continues doing what he's doing, he's a Heisman finalist.
0: I was looking at this. I was like, I wonder what hit. I was thinking the only guy outside of, obviously, Kyle Pitts, was like Jeremy Shockey. So I was like, what did he do in college? Um,
1: Miami had like those like four or five in a row, like yeah. Winslow and Shockey, Bubba Franks, uh, Greg Olson. Yeah. Like they They had a bunch in there, but... Um Kyle Pitts I've always said is the best tight end I've ever seen play mm-hmm. I, at the time I said that but he also like legacy wise he only had the one like dominant year his junior year and he was a baller <clears throat> but Bowers has done that potentially a third straight year I'm um, obviously if he continues to do what he's doing um and and if Georgia continues to have the team success but like I don't think we're prepared for like a team to win three straight national championships and what that will actually, what that conversation will actually be because that's just such an absurd feat that college football hasn't
0: seen in like 90 years. Well, that's a good lead-in, Matt Green, because there are some people who are running with Georgia being the most doubted two-time defending national champions <laughs> out there because there are pieces now being written about whether or not this is the case. And, quote... The evidence is mounting. Georgia among... <laughs> what, I love this headline. Georgia among most doubted championship programs in recent uh, history by Mike Griffith of AJC. Or the or Dog Nation. And look, this, the sources here is like Kirk Herbstreet who said, quote, just when you think Nick Saban and Alabama are done, they'll come back and win it all. Like I think he was leaning towards um, picking Alabama to win it. D- David Pollock is saying the same sort of thing. And he's obviously damn good dog and i love his analysis i'm gonna really miss him on game day because I, I think he's still Reese good... davis picked michigan yeah well and he can't do it because he's a bama guy so maybe he doesn't want to just go bama over and over again and maybe that's why he stayed away um but that all being the case matt green we're really just trying to stir something here folks like when this is popping up where it's like i want you to find one college football writer fan analyst who's looking at the dogs of the last 2 years and been like wow that team that beat the shit out of TCU 65 to 7 in the national championship game of the sport like they're they're all right I don't know I have my doubts about where this program's headed I have my doubts when they have it the number 1 overall recruiting class all over again I have my doubts when they're putting third uh, third string linebackers in the NFL like I have some doubts about where this program is really headed like I don't i don't know if they're gonna be able to do a three-peat now there is some there's a difference to being like this is unprecedented which you already spoke to of like a three-peat in college football is just preposterous like it's just shout out to the golden gophers back in the 30s (laughs) like this is uncharted waters so yes it's doubted in the sense that like They are now firmly against history, and this is it. Like This feels like the last dance for Georgia because next year the playoff goes to a 12-team format. There's going to be a lot more volatility. There's going to be a lot more parity, I think. You're going to have some upsets, and Georgia plays in the toughest conference in college football. So for the team to – and I think Josh Pate actually made this point. I agree with it, and I think it will be something that hardcore fans will agree with, and I think you're probably on this – Whoever wins the SEC is probably the, net, the best team that year going forward. So when we expanded Oklahoma and Texas, so it's like even if they lose the team who wins the SEC championship game is actually who we should look at as the de facto best team in the country that year. Even if they lose a dumb game uh, in the playoffs, uh, one of their three games, whatever, like that doesn't mean... They they weren't the best team, or the real national championship game is happening then, or the real national championship game one year might be in the big ten title game with Michigan and Ohio State, like depending on how they're playing. And I think that's fair um because I think you will have some se- seasons now where the best team is not the national champion, and that's been that's never been the case really for college football. It's always been the best team, generally speaking, is gonna be the one standing tall at the end. So this feels like the last dance where it's like it's clean. It's a four playoff. east is still very much georgia's it's a good schedule for them the schedule gets significantly more difficult in 2024 for them this feels like the last dance in a lot of ways for georgia not in that the program's going away but like the kind of path where you're if you're a georgia fan you're like i don't know how you can pick against georgia to not go back to back to back to back and i think the only thing you can point to is this is insane that people don't go back to back to back Like, that just is not how this works.
1: Before I get into Georgia, just in terms of your playoff conversation, I definitely disagree with Josh Pate on that, which I disagree with Josh Pate on very few things, to be honest. Mm. But, like, we've seen these meaningless bowl games, quote-unquote, like, as one team cares more than the other. If anything, we're going to see more SEC teams bringing their A game into the playoff, into a Mm. postseason game. We're going to see four or five teams, potentially, that are like, no, this game means a lot and they're going to see actually how good the SEC is compared to these other conferences. And since when does anyone like you come out of a tournament, a tournament is what it is. Like mm. Chiefs were the best team in the NFL last year. They won the Super Bowl. Whatever year Carson Wentz got hurt, Nick Foles came in. Eagles were the best team in the NFL. They got the trophy. Like there's no mm. sure Patriots you went 17 and 0, 18 and 0, whatever it started that year but the Giants won the Super Bowl. They're the best team in the NFL that year. Hands down, that's that's the discussion. The SEC Championship will always mean something, you know? Like, Georgia won the SEC Championship in 2005, uh, the year where that great Vince Young um, versus USC game was. And we still hold that SEC Championship proudly, it's just we didn't win the National Championship that year. So, I do disagree with that point. But going back to Georgia, I think I wanna start by saying, Georgia fans are new to this and they don't know how to act like that. That's, we don't know how to the, how to have the conversation. We're one of the best teams out there. I feel like I can understand where this was coming from last year because mm. it was a, a, yeah, but like everyone talked about why is Stetson Bennett coming back to college? That obviously was the best it was ever going to get. Like he's the only player that doesn't improve with more reps. Like he's just, he was going to get worse in 2022 And he came back and Georgia got way better. You also heard, I mean, you heard a lot of national people say, yeah, but if Alabama's two best receivers were healthy, they would have won the national championship. So there was a lot of, yeah, budding Georgia's 2021 championship. With what they did in 2022, it was basically a rebuilding year, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost embarrassing. Like, it sounds like you're bragging to say that. But with what they lost defensively on just a historically great defense, it wasn't supposed to be a great defense again. And the fact that the defense was like a top five unit again in the country and the offense was just unstoppable most games, to be honest, like <clears throat> could basically score whenever they wanted to, could kind of milk the clock when they wanted to as well. Like, I think last year, you definitely saw, I guess it just kind of depends on who are we talking about, right? Are we mm. talking about the, the, college football fan consensus that we feel, like, just vibes. Because I feel like vibes-wise, it feels like people don't necessarily include Georgia automatically with, like, Alabama and Ohio State and some of those elite programs. But, I mean, the NFL, they they seem to be picking up on what Georgia's doing. Like, I feel like the people who know about college football can see, like, yeah, this is, like, basically the best program in the country right now, if if no less – no less than like top three, they're in that, they're in that group. Right. So it's one thing like Mike Griffith, I don't know, be maybe insensitive, but like vibes wise, I guess I can kind of see where he's coming from here. Like one thing me and my brother have talked about before is like you said, the Alabama bias. And we were talking about these, uh, the pro football focus thing there's just something about when Alabama's good, all of their starters are like, oh yeah, well he's starting, he's probably first team SEC, right? Mm. Like Jamon Dumas Johnson is a guy that we've looked at. Like this guy was a butt kiss finalist on the best team in the country last year as a red shirt freshman or red shirt sophomore last year. I can't remember. Mm. Um, and, and this guy, like, I feel like if this guy was Alabama's middle linebacker, he would be like first team all American, like no mm. doubt. Like, and with Jamon Dumas Johnson, he's he's not really getting that preseason hype for a guy who's like basically the captain of the of the best defense in the country. So it's probably Georgia fans being a little sensitive, but I feel like I think I think the country really isn't ready for Georgia to be this good because there is this perception. It's still Nick Saban, it's still Alabama's world. Like Georgia got a couple, but like Herb Street's saying, it's still Alabama's world and I don't think people are ready for like, no, Georgia actually just might be better now. And Alabama might not win another title. Like it might, we might have seen the end of the like truly like dominant era of Alabama football. Like they could still be a really good team year in, year out, but they might not be that once elite, just, you know, impregnable force that they once were.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is a strong possibility. I think even Bama fans would admit this, that Nick Saban's won his last title. He's 72. Um, yeah, he had a good class here, but, like, I mean, you're going to go to a 12-team format after this, and it's only going to get harder. LSU and Georgia are right there. You could, I think there's no doubt that Georgia's passed. Bama as a program. I just think it's going to be very, very difficult for him to get one more, and it doesn't matter. I mean, he's still going down as the best of all time, and they're still going to be in the hunt until he's gone, but, like, there's a strong possibility that he doesn't get another one and it's hard to get even one. And it's just, it's going to be tough. And I think that would be, if I'm a Georgia fan, the thing that would actually annoy me. And I think there is validity to is talking heads and folks who follow this program and know or follow this sport as well. And as accurately as the Kirk Street and David Pucks of the world do is that like, I get that you don't want to just say like the dog should be the favorites again, but like, You saw what Alabama was last year. Like, yeah, they lost two games by a combined, what, four points or whatever. But, like, you saw that offense, and you know what Tommy Reese is bringing to the table. You know that the quarterback situation is very much in flux, that that could be an easy disaster, that you know LSU is going to be really good. You know Georgia has kind of, like, you know in your heart of hearts that they're coming into the year better, and that they should be better. And the, the fallback of, like, but it's Saban, and it's back against the wall, it's like, it feels lazy where it's like, we have to move on. Like at some point we have to go, maybe it's not coming. Maybe that's not the thing. So if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm like, what about this Alabama situation would scare you as a Georgia fan and an SEC title situation? Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything that would scare you as a Georgia fan about Bama at this point.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, and then that's what it really comes down to. Like with Mike Griffith's like talking George being the most doubted that it's, like they, they might be preseason number one. Like we yeah. haven't even seen the polls come out yet. Like like last year, they, they were a national champion that returned their starting quarterback. I mean, most people thought their starting quarterback still sucked, but they returned their starting quarterback and they were preseason number three. So I think mm-hmm. there's some validity when you talk last year because, I mean, they were preseason number three. They started 8-0 and then the playoff committee, the first playoff rankings ranked them number two or number, were they number two or the number three? um i think when i think ohio state was actually number two right and it was number one in tennessee was number one and georgia was three in that very first playoff ranking i want to say that sounds right um so there was some doubt there too so i i can kind of see where it's coming from but after the 65 to seven i mean you still heard a little chirping this year like last year like oh it, if marvin harrison just junior doesn't get hurt ohio state could have won whatever you know what ifs woulda coulda shoulda like that that stuff happens yeah i i take more exception to that one because georgia did make a play that knocked Mm. marvin harrison jr out of the game as opposed to jameson williams just no one touched him he tears his acl like that's just a bad luck thing not not something that georgia actually caused to happen but um not that they were trying to hurt marvin harrison jr but not any more than you are on every tackle but I think after the sixty-five to seven, I mean, the biggest win in a history of a bowl game. I don't feel like there's really too many people doubting Georgia at this point. Maybe you're saying, and I think the original headline. Maybe they changed the, the headline because I feel like it's the they're like the most doubted back-to-back champion of all time. So it's like, well, they're the most doubted of like six teams that have done this. Like I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was. I I think Mike Griffith might be a little sensitive, especially because the the preseason hasn't even played out completely. So we could see Georgia being number one when week one starts.
0: Yeah, but we'll see. I think Georgia will be okay. Um, Dogs fans, calm it down. You're going to be all right.
1: Keep that chip on your shoulder. They're saying we're going seven and five.
0: Oh, my God. I I just can't. Uh, (laughs) Whatever it takes. Matt Green main event here we each did our top 25 college football coaches right now and let us make this very clear it's who we think are the 25 best college football coaches in the country right now and we had a a few different omissions here and i think we should both just run through our 25 and where we had them and then parse through what stood out here um I think you should go first here, though, because if we go one at a time, we'll be here until 4 a.m. And i that's... Uh, well, I maybe know, we but...
1: should go like five at a time, like because mm. we, we agree on these top three.
0: Okay. That's fair. You can so, lead the charge here.
1: A little little disappointed. You know, I wanted to be the hot take guy that had, that had Kirby Smart number one ahead of Nick Saban, but you did as well, because I think right now Kirby Smart is the king of college football. Nick Saban, enough said. He's the GOAT. He's number two right now.
0: Well, Brian I think the Kelly. reason is oh, well the ahead. reason we should say about the thing about Kirby passing saving the difference between Tommy Reese and Mike Bobo and the difference in figuring out like look I think the recruiting's very similar as much as like Georgia's on a roll like Bama did just have the number one class this past year like Caleb Downs from Mill Creek is going to be a really good player for them. Um, at safety, he'll probably be... He's, like, their Kai Starks, Like, he'll start right away. Like, the defense is still going to be loaded. They're going to be really good there. But, like, I think Kirby has done... He's built what Saban built. But he also deserves benefit of the doubt with his hirings. Like, he's learned. And, like, the offense is just as elite as the defense. And he is just... He's built a machine where, like, even the in-game stuff, where like the the Ohio State game, he made a lot of big calls um, that completely uh, that were huge, uh, ended up being huge in that game that put Georgia over the top. I think there's just a couple things. Like, I think the margin are the margins are very very slim between Saban and Kirby at this point. But I think based on what we've seen the last couple of years, hiring offenses, team as a whole, where the recruiting, where the momentum is, I just. I think if you're starting a program in 2023 or you are you have a blank checkbook and you can hire any of the coaches around the country right now, who would you hire right now? I think you have to say Kirby. Saban's number two and a clear number two but you would hire Kirby first, I think, any, any administrator. Well, that
1: conversation is different too because Saban probably isn't two at that point because he's 72 years old. Well, we're not know, even throwing the age.
0: We're, we're just showing what we've now. seen in the last couple of years. Like, who would you be most confident would build the to, best to program for you? Yeah, coach yeah, your team. to
1: coach your team and recruit for you in one year. Mm. But, well, without a doubt, because that, that was a good point you made too because um, I was watching the Georgia-Ohio State game today on SEC Network with the whole Georgia takeover today. Mm. Which I have strong critiques about the programming, but neither here nor there. But um, because I think Kirby's Smart, that is what people always said about him. He's a good coordinator, but on not a good game coach. I was just thinking of some of the decisions that were made in that game because you had mm. obviously the timeout that that prevented the fake punt, is what everyone talks about, like a great call he made. Mm. But also like being fourth and goal when you're down two touchdowns in the in late was it maybe early fourth quarter or late third quarter down two touchdowns you got fourth and goal and just trusting your defense enough to kick a field goal in that situation and that kept it that kept the game alive you were able to force a field goal on one of the ohio state's next uh drives it's like there were certain things that like just strategic factors like he he called a fake punt in the sec championship his third year as a head coach right and it's like people want to pretend that's who he was as an in-game coach but He's obviously grown from then, but he's he's just he's done a lot of really good just scheme things. I don't feel like he necessarily gets credit for because he's only talked about it as a as a great coordinator. But also, like this is probably where the hot take comes in. Mm. You're you're not going to convince me that Kirby Smart was not the secret to Alabama's defensive success for a decade. On at this point, like now seeing. Kirby Smart being the manipulated variable that's now at Georgia and what their defense is compared to what Alabama's defense is like it's, it's clearly better, you know, and from where Alabama was starting, they were starting at number one, as soon as Kirby Smart left. And the Jeremy Pruitt defense, like that team, those defenses were great. Jeremy Pruitt's another really good defensive coordinator, but you've just seen year after year. It's just, it's not, it's not a steep decline, but it's just clearly not the elite of elite unit that it was just every single year and now that kirby smarts at georgia that's basically what georgia is that's fair uh matt green where are we going both next? had keeping it going we both had brian yeah. kelly at number three a little surprised to see you have him up there as well but i just i think brian kelly is just such a proven coach now that he's only been one year at lsu but he's won at multiple stops cincinnati and notre dame and i think he's just Especially if I'm if I'm a Georgia – if I'm a – Kirby Smart goes to the NFL tomorrow and Georgia has to pick a new head coach, Brian Kelly, without a doubt, is the one I would take of anyone else in college football.
0: I think Dan Mullen would be fun at Georgia. You gave him the, <laughs> gave him the recruiting checkbook and everything else when you're like – and you hire someone else. But like Everyone else does the recruiting for me. He's just like, I'll just be the best offensive mind in the sport, and you just go give me uh, – Dan, every-
1: Dan Mullen will ever step foot on that campus. We would take any offensive minded guy before Dan Mullen. That's the one thing about Lincoln Riley. We'll get to mm-hmm. him, but it's like maybe he could come to Georgia and just stay out of the defensive room. And in that, then he could have success. Can we
0: also say there's a dark, like with how Brian Kelly is doing thus far at LSU? He's ahead of schedule. LSU has a history of national championships. They're obviously in a fertile recruiting ground. He gets two titles in four years. You could see him at number one in this list. Like, I think there's a path to Brian Kelly being the best coach in college football as a whole. I think he there's a path for him going to Kirby and that being the rivalry over the next five to seven years is Kirby versus I think Kelly. when you're
1: judging coaching, like, legacies, I think it's always, like, it's always easier to rank the guy who's won at multiple spots. Yeah. Like, higher. I mean, like, Rick Pitino. is could be the new Urban. Show.
0: Like, Kelly could be the new yeah. Urban.
1: Exactly, because I think that's something that Urban has on his on his resume of just winning at multiple spots. And obviously Saban has too, but um, yeah, I think and Kirby is going to be probably one of the few coaches ever that may just stay at one job his entire life. One head coaching job the entire time he gets it.
0: I think so. Um, Where are we going next?
1: So to round out my uh, top five, I'm going, I had Jim Harbaugh at number four and Ryan day at number five.
0: Yeah. I had, uh, no, you had, Brian, you had Dabo at four.
1: Oh shoot, I'm looking at your list. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, Dabo at four and Jim Harbaugh at number five.
0: Yeah, I have Jim at four. I also can like I was like, can I put him any higher? But no, Jim, I think is closing in, and we'll get in at some point. So
1: why is why is Harbaugh better than than Dabo?
0: I think at this point, you look at it. He's Dabo. We saw where the chink in the armor is. And he has to prove it with Garrett Riley. And he may have learned his mistake from promoting with him and the whole Clemson culture and all that kind of stuff of just, we have our guys, like he had the gift of continuity with Brent Venables, Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott for years and years and years. I think what we saw last year was like, there was an arrogance there of like, we can keep this thing rolling. And look, they had the gift of back-to-back all-time great college football quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And then we saw what happens when you don't have that at Clemson. And you didn't develop DJ Uangile. It was a five-star and he might ball out at Oregon state this year with Jonathan Smith, which would be another thing where it's like, okay, that might not have been a DJ thing. That might've been a Clemson development thing. And they have shown that they are far more vulnerable than I think we might've anticipated before. Harbaugh, people were wondering about the recruiting. Remember like Harbaugh, was like, can you win the big one? Has he reached this point? And he's like, I'll just go back to back beating Ohio State, drubbing Ohio State back to back. I'm going to play the style like the ground and pound. He's evolved. He's had all kinds of different offenses, different coordinators. He has been able to adapt um, with the game, adapt to his personnel, adapt to just the where the sport is going. I think Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit for what he has built at Michigan. I mean, Blake Quorum and Devon, uh, Donovan Edwards are going to be the best one-two running back punch in college football this year. He's got the five-star quarterback and J.J. McCarthy. We'll see what he does there. He is innovative. He's like, I'll just start J.J. one week, Cade one week, and we'll see where it goes. He's just, I think he's at the top of his game right now. I think Jim Harbaugh, like, yeah, you lost TCU in the game and you got bombed by Georgia the year prior, but, like, that was a K-Mac really cute. He is maximizing Michigan year over year and i think people overstate what michigan is traditionally as a football program and i think he's on his way to being the best michigan coach of all time so i would say jim harbaugh is above Dabo because he has proven that he can adapt he has proven that he can if he makes a bad hire or things go right like he can bounce back he can bounce back from a down year he beats the crap out of his rivals like clemson just got blasted by south carolina like i just was I that know. the first time he lost to South Carolina in, like, 10 years? But what I'm saying is, like, he hasn't sniffed the college football playoff since he lost Trevor Lawrence. Like, we're now at the point where it's, like, you need to show that you can do it without the all-time great quarterback. Dabo, I look, he's not, like, number 17 on my list. He's number 6. I'm just saying right now, if I'm picking who is a better coach in 2023, Jim... Harbaugh is a better college football coach than Dabo Sweeney.
1: There's also the fact: who's the third best quarterback in Clemson history? Is it Taj Boyd? <laughs> like
0: it has to be Taj it, Boyd. It yeah,
1: probably is Taj Boyd. So maybe after a while, yeah. this is a Dabo thing. Like you look at Dabo; his first year was 2009. Mm. As of 2009, do you do you want to know when Clemson's last double-digit win season was? At if we're in having this conversation in 2009 the last two double digit season would have been 1990 Mm. they have now won double digits 12 years in a row like i think we kind of forget how good they were for like four or five years before they made the playoff and then they made the playoffs like six years in a row what we're in the national championship four out of five years also like just an absurd run and now their two bad seasons are back to back 10 and three and then 11 and three and you win the acc like i feel like the the demise of clemson is just very over exaggerated and over exaggerating that's that's redundant but um, I just I think Dabo is still right there. Like, if I'm taking like like the guys I want to be the head coach at Georgia, he might not be near the top of the list. But just given the guy, just his respect for how good he is, I don't think you can really. Harbaugh has been there since 2015. It's not like he just got there, and he was good at Stanford. Obviously, good for the 49ers. He went to the Super Bowl, but. Dabo has done more in the college game without a doubt than Harbaugh has. It's not about the
0: all-time list. It's about who's better right now. Our list is who is better right now. I'm still taking Dabo.
1: I'm still taking Dabo. He's got, like Mm. you said, uh, Garrett Riley He's going to come in and fix the offense this year. I think we're going to see Clemson bounce back and uh, maybe be back in the playoff this year. We'll see.
0: I mean, Michigan's going for their third straight playoff appearance.
1: Hey, Dabo had six straight. Anyone two natties in there. And it, but that we're saying the, now these are I'm two saying years. now. Yeah. I mean, these last two years, Michigan has been better than Clemson. So, you know, there's uh there's something to that, but I, am would still taking; I'm still liking where, uh, where Dabo is.
0: Well, our seven through 10 is pretty close. So I have Whittingham, Lincoln, Riley, Josh Heupel, James Franklin at my seven through 10. And you have, and your Heupel one my, is just going to piss through me 10, off. Who you yeah.
1: have Luke fickle completely unranked on your list.
0: Mm-hmm. um
1: i got him at six then ryan day seven kyle whittingham eight james franklin nine and sunny dykes at 10
0: yeah i why are you comfortable because like fickle was hard for me because obviously he made the playoff with cincinnati and that was probably my most hot takey thing but like fickle's done well he's solid i want to see what he does at wisconsin like the coaches on my list i've seen the big time where i'm like i think I trust him more like I don't know with Fickle yet like for whatever reason there's just something about it I want to see what he does at Wisconsin before I pro- prop him into like one of the 25 best coaches right now and I know that's very hot to because there's some on this list of people are like how-, how do you do it but I'm like I just a lot of these coaches on my list I'm like I'm more confident that they would win just about anywhere I'm not as certain about Luke Fickle it's not that I'm betting against him I am very 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 excited to see how he plays at wisconsin i mean like phil Longo is his new oc like he's going air raid like out of nowhere i just i don't know like there's all kinds of ways this fickle tenure could go at wisconsin i just i don't know we'll we'll see he was okay last year at cincy there was a drop off like it wasn't like they were humming they had the all-time great players with desmond ritter and sauce gardner and a lot of nfl dudes and he deserves credit for developing them but like I don't know. I think he's a little overrated. Like I, have Luke Fickle is my most maybe overrated coach coming into the year. But I think he can silence a lot of doubters like me, depending on how he does at Wisconsin. He's a big opportunity.
1: Yeah, and Cincinnati coaches, <clears throat> obviously, like they've they've had a good program with multiple coaches. He he took over after the Tuberville years, so like mm. those weren't the best years of Cincinnati. And so he got them back to 11 and two, 11 and three, nine and one in the COVID year. You know, you can question the the strength of schedule some of these years, 13 Mm. and one made a playoff, but yeah, you, you said, you kind of said part of my my logic was that Cincinnati team with all those NFL players, like I think they were third to Georgia and Alabama in terms of most uh, players drafted in 2022, like nine guys drafted. It's like, that alone just speaks to the talent evaluator he is and the talent he was able to get at a place like Cincinnati. I think Wisconsin, you're automatically going to be getting a higher caliber of, of, of player. I think I think it's fair that, like we kind of just said, it's easier to rank guys higher when they've done it at multiple spots. We've only seen him at Cincinnati other than – he was never interim guy
0: at Ohio State, was he? Was He, he when, was for a little bit.
1: Yeah, so we had like a couple games – um uh, he got the coach. full
0: year in 2011. Wasn't the year that trestle was? Uh... Oh,
1: you're right. And then Urban uh, retained him. Yeah, right? it was like the DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking Ryan Day got those like couple games when um yeah. when Urban was suspended. Correct. Um, uh, but yeah, so he's for what he was at Cincinnati. I think we'll be able to tell, like you said, a lot more of what he is at Wisconsin. But he just I uh, I'm a big fickle fan listening to him and dan mullen on the on the college football playoff set a couple years ago i feel like was like a, an insight into luke fickle like he's just a, he's a no-nonsense guy like while while dan mullins over we were trying to take jabs about wheel routes and stuff like luke fickle was just like all business like all respect because he had just played georgia in 2020 and then had played alabama the week before and in, in in the playoff in 2021 so I feel like he had like I don't know I I just I'm a big fan of Luke Fickle and his uh, his demeanor his, as a talent evaluator and his track record.
0: I'll just say Paul Chris 43 and 18 in the Big Ten at Wisconsin. I'm not sure Fickle does better than that. Like I'm not sure. We'll see. That's true. That's Wisconsin
1: shocked a lot of people by uh by saying good enough wasn't good enough.
0: So we'll see. I I don't know. I think he's a. He's a fast riser for me. He can move up the charts and back into mine. I just I have him as a huge question mark going into this this year. Like because mine, Kyle Winningham, not a question mark. Lincoln Riley, not a question mark. Josh Heupel, not a question mark. James Franklin, not a question mark. Um, that rounds out my top ten. I mean, I, it's funny too because I think before we did last year, and Lincoln Riley had a great year at USC. Like he was ahead of schedule in a He had another Heisman quarterback, but like. I'm now docking him significantly for retaining Alex Grinch and not fixing the defense and not doing stuff enough to fix the defense. Like the, it's a problem and it's going to hold them back. So it's like, until he makes that adjustment until like you can, people like the over Tennessee in that defense is like, they have good hires. Like Rodney Garner's defensive line coach. Like Tim Banks is a good DC. Like he's a paid, he's a top 10, top 15 paid DC. Like Brian John Marie is a good linebackers coach. Like, They've invested a lot of resources in the defense and improving that defensive line. And like Hypo understands that this defense has to be significantly better if they're going to beat Georgia to the world year over year. I don't think USC is planning to do that. So for me, Lincoln, he can't be a top five coach because he's just when we joke about like not caring about the other side of the ball, the Vols care about the defense. Like that is something that they are actively trying to fix each and every year right now. I don't feel like USC is addressing it. They're just like, they had an unbelievable turnover margin last year. That was one of the saving graces of that team. We talked about it throughout the year where it's like their turnover margin was just bonkers. That's not repeating next year. Like this defense, I think is going to be worse than it was last year. And I mean, the offense was great and it'll be great. And Lincoln is the sec- maybe the best offensive of mind, at least top three, no matter what. But, like, Lincoln's not a top five coach in this league. And I think before last year, we both were arguing. Like, it used to be the argument was, like, who's better, Lincoln or Kirby? There's no question now. Lincoln's barely on the top ten fringes right now. And I think that's interesting.
1: We used to have conversations about Dan Mullen and Kirby. And, Mm. um... I uh I was adamant about those as well. I even have Lincoln Riley lower than you do. I have him at eleven outside mm. the top ten because I couldn't justify him being in the top ten when one side of the ball is just always bad. Like yeah. how much did we talk about Kirby? Like there were people that weren't l- ranking Kirby in the top ten in twenty before the twenty twenty one season because it was always oh, got to get out of the way of that offensive coordinator. Just let the <sighs> offense open it up. Has anyone ever said that Lincoln (laughs) Riley needs to get out of the way of Alex Grinch let him coordinate the defense. Like he needs to do something like, and I think after a while it feels like this is the culture that, that Lincoln Riley breeds, that it's not a physical culture. Like it's not a defensive, like, I don't know, grinding type of culture. Like you hear these Georgia players on these podcasts talk about like on recruiting visits, they tell recruits, like, don't come here if you're not trying to work. Like we work, like, You know, if you're not willing to put in the work, don't even come here. Like, you don't hear that. You don't hear players try to to dissuade players from (laughs) – recruits from coming to their school. But Lincoln Riley, after a while, it's like the offense can only carry you so far. And Mm. I think – this conversation we've already referenced it multiple times the multiple spots thing i think actually benefits lincoln riley here Mm. because he just came to usc had another heisman quarterback to add to his resume oh the offense is still elite oh we're ahead of schedule year one like if if he just did what he if he just was at oklahoma in 2022 and they went maybe they won the big 12 last year and they lost the first round of the playoff again. And, or they, maybe the defense was still bad. Then it's, it's like, well, this is just who Lincoln Riley is now. It's kind of what we're saying, but there's still at least some hope because, Oh, this was year one at USC. He's going to fix the defense and, you know, they're going to, they're going to be better. But until he has a competent defense, like I know he's an offensive coach, but he's the head coach. It's his job. Just like, docking certain coaches because they're good recruiters and not good in-game coaches like well recruiting is half their job so it's a big part of how you're evaluating it so if if your defense is just going to continue to be like really bad then your offense can only carry you so far so i couldn't rank him in the top 10 for that reason
0: that's fair and i think he is not addressing it this year and i think it's gonna be the downfall like how whittingham is just like all right lincoln if you don't want to we're just gonna keep out physicaling you and just kick the shit out of you over and over again because like they're fine playing USC. They're not scared. Um, Utah is not scared whatsoever of USC, and they match up well, and they're going to continue to match up well if that's not addressed. So until that's addressed, he's not a top five coach in the sport. Yeah, uh, Whittingham,
1: we we're both pretty similar on Ryan mm-hmm. Day. I, you had a couple of spots higher than me, but we're pretty similar on. I couldn't have him ahead of Harbaugh after Harbaugh. Absolutely and, not. Uh, taking him to the to the woodshed a couple years in a row. And you got that that born on third base comment in there. Like Harbaugh, Harbaugh definitely took the edge for me there. But um James Franklin, I was I was surprised to see you have hypo ahead of James Franklin.
0: Well, uh, Franklin obviously won at Vanderbilt, which not a lot of people have done. Uh, he recruits really well. He's top-ten recruiter. Um, he's going to have a five-star running back, five-star quarterback uh, under center and in the backfield this fall with Singletary and Aller. Um, it's a big year for Penn State and what James Franklin can do. But I think they're kind of at that same mole. But I think with Hypel beating Alabama, Franklin hasn't gotten over the Michigan-Ohio State hump yet. And Hypel got over that hump in year two. Um, I think the reason I have Hypel ahead of Franklin to this point is I know it's the whole thing where Hypel understands the defense. It kind of the reason I have him and I flirted with putting him above Lincoln at this point, but I think that's just more of a time and like a guarantee where I still have Lincoln as more of a guarantee year to year to win at least nine games. Like he at least had a Heisman quarterback. Like Hendon was really good, but that hasn't happened yet. Like there is still a level for Lincoln that's just like, it just doubt uh, going against him in offense and quarterbacks is just a bad idea. And with Franklin, he's nine and three, 10 and two. That's his ceiling to this point at Penn state. I think Tennessee was with a much less talented roster this past year were a bad USC game away from being in the college football playoff in year two, being ahead of schedule. They have had the number one offense this past year, the top 10 you're offense you saying U-
1: USC is in South Carolina yeah you're throwing yeah. me off there
0: I know I know I was gonna say USC junior but I don't want to piss him off and <laughs> look You've I just said it I think Tennessee and Heupel has a longer track record and if you want to start a program and you're like who is more likely to raise the floor high enough and also beat their rivals get over the hump with their style and their recruiting I think it's Heupel and what he has built versus what James Franklin has built so in 2023 I think Hypel has a stronger resume of like, who would you be more confident in uh, getting your team over the hump and having a better year with any roster? Cause I he think, did it with anybody. I think that's remained to be seen though. I can't say that
1: Heupel, like he might emphasize the defense, but until they have a good defense, I think you still have to put him in a similar, you know, conversation with Lincoln Riley in terms of, yeah, he's a great offensive coach, but you have to see improvement from the defense.
0: That's fair. Like I, if you had Franklin above Hypel, that doesn't bother me. I think Franklin's a top. Heiple was the, the one we
1: disagreed the most on. Do you know where I had Hypel in my range? Yeah, I'm
0: looking at it. It's just
1: it's number twenty one. Yeah, it's
0: just whatever you got to do.
1: I couldn't. I couldn't get him. Up. He's what, been head coach for like four years, and UCF those weren't necessarily the best UCF years. They were. I mean, fine. one was a COVID
0: year, and I mean Dylan Gabriel was awesome the year before. Uh, Mackenzie Milden was awesome with him, Like. No, Drew They lock. were winning
1: national championships before he got there. Okay, um, <laughs> for ten national titles. I was well, let's also keep it moving. Uh, yeah. Shocked to not see in this next group your guy Jamie Chadwell not ranked. Uh, had I love Jamie him Chadwell. There. So I had a uh, Lincoln Riley eleven, Jamie Chadwell twelve, Chip Kelly thirteen, Mark Stoops fourteen, and Mike Gundy fifteen. And mm. a lot of those are pretty similar with with Kelly, Stoops, and Gundy. You were you were pretty close, uh, like, one-off with me on all of those.
0: The one difference, though, I have Chris Kleiman at 11, Sunny Dykes at 12, Lane Kiffin at 13, Chip Kelly at 14, Mark Stoops at 15. The big – and we can do, just parse through it this way. I have Sunny Dykes, you have – or no, I have Chris Kleiman, and you have Jimmy Chadwell. Yeah. Chris Kleiman beat TCU in the Big 12 title game. Chris Kleiman, all he does is just rack up wins at another just – we talked about Jamie Chadwell doing a lot with classic coastal and what he's built from that program. We'll see what he does at Liberty, but like Chris Kleiman kind of a similar scheme where it's a lot of ground and pound. Like he utilized Deuce Vaughn and company really well. Um, Skylar Thompson was awesome for him uh, this past year. And he looks like he's going to be a dude for them. Uh, Navigated uh, the Adrian Martinez mess really well. And the dude just wins a bunch of college football games. Like he's just, death taxes Chris Kleiman's going to maximize your group um, whether it's North Dakota State or whether it's Kansas State the dude just I I, I think he's just consistent he's like the, he might be the new Mike Gundy really like Mike Gundy would just get get these Oklahoma State teams nine ten wins year over year and you're like how does he keep doing this like they're nowhere near the blue chip ratio every year and it's just that he gets the most out of the least and I think uh Chris Kleiman I just I can't can't say enough good things like the dude beat the team that was in the national title game this year um and does he not
1: deserve criticism for uh for not going not staying with will howard though for going back to martinez and then going with howard and that's when they truly like hit their stride once will howard took over
0: he was good. i mean it wasn't like adrian martinez was bad like it it's kind of like a plug and play offense it wasn't like adrian martinez was terrible for them um they love beating texas um that's another thing that they like to do uh but Chris Kleiman, no. I uh Chris Kleiman I think has to be somewhere in the top fifteen. You leaving him out is pretty pretty wild.
1: I think that's fair. I think a lot of people honestly kind of forget that uh that they even won the Big Twelve last year with yeah. TCU playing for the national championship. Um I think you could talk me into sneaking him in the top twenty five. Uh, he's yeah, hundred
0: and two and thirty three all time as a head coach. Eighteen and one. The North uh, Dakota
1: State stuff, it's definitely um it's hard to know how to rank that exactly, mm. but um, but Jamie Chadwell, what he's done at Coastal, like just three years in a row now, they've just been you know finishing getting up in like the top ten, top fifteen of the rankings and everything. Like they just been a powerhouse. I'm sure they're going to continue. He's going to continue to do what he's been doing at Liberty too. They're pretty well set up there with like a pretty solid tradition. I don't know for lack of a better term. They've they've kind of built up there as well. So. I uh, I do. I like Jamie Chadwell. He's he's one of the smaller school guys that I feel like you just know what you're getting. I'm a little surprised to see him take the liberty as opposed to jumping into the SEC or into the Power Five.
0: I'll still remain. Georgia Tech should have just hired Jamie Chadwell. Like, I would have just done that. And uh, run with the fun offense. Cool. He's in the area in Carolina. Um, I think it would have been good for them. I, that's what I would have done um 16 through georgia tech 20
1: fans getting big mad about uh dylan riola this week i don't know if you've seen that i did not talking about georgia being close to atlanta and uh georgia tech fans take a lot of exception to that that they're the school in atlanta
0: yeah i mean it's gonna be crazy fall friday it's like those beaver games are sellouts like i don't know how it's gonna be bonkers trying to go to watch a beaver game no i'm uh, sure uh 16 through 20 mike gundy for me 16 Dave Clawson, 17, Mike Norvell, 18, Jonathan Smith, 19, and here's another one I guarantee he's not on your list. Troy Calhoun, friend of the pod, Troy Calhoun, Air Force head coach. Um, Guess how many times he's won 10 games in the last two years? Twice? Twice. There's no transfers. You can't just transfer in in the transfer portal era to the, the academies. It's not how it works. They don't get to jump into the portal and do any they of probably that. Probably can, right? No. Just,
1: nobody's going to. Yeah, like <laughs> it's
0: not a thing. Like it's not like look at the roster, it's just not happening. The NIL space. Guess who is killed by the NIL world? The academies. The dude hey, doesn't they can care make a
1: little something though, right? They've been <laughs> the only ones making a little something in
0: college. Troy Calhoun is a top 25 college football coach that dude getting 10 wins like it's just it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what kind of system we're in that man is the most overlooked college football coach i think in the country troy calhoun never getting an opportunity at a bigger job maybe he doesn't want one i don't know but troy calhoun is in my top 20 somewhere you could put him up to top 10 uh, maybe that dude i would have liked to see how his scheme would have worked somewhere else former air force quarterback um 10 and three the last two years. He was eleven and two in twenty nineteen. He's won ten games six times as the Air Force head coach. Like, no nah, man. Troy Calhoun somewhere in there for for me. Who is your pig sixteen through twenty that I didn't have? Oh you had Jimbo had at sixteen. In Jimbo yeah. at
1: sixteen. Hugh Freeze at seventeen, I have a little higher than you. Crystal ball at eighteen Matt Rule at 19 and Lane Kiffin at 20. I had Lane Kiffin much lower than you did. Also just thrown in there, Heupel at 21. Because mm. I couldn't have Hypel higher than Lane Kiffin was honestly my logic. Like, if I'm going with two offensive guys that still have a lot to prove defensively, mm. like, Hypel uh, is not better than Lane Kiffin. Like, Lane Kiffin, is, he hasn't recruited well, but, like, They've had he's had great offenses. He also went back to FAU, had very good offenses there. Like, and they were winning a bunch of games there, too. I just I can't put Hypel ahead of Lane Kiffin. It's kind of what it came down to for mm. me. Um, but you go go to my back to my guys who you don't have ranked at all. Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship. All right. I know that was a decade ago, but that list is insanely short for the guy to not make 20 top 25. We have what? Saban, Kirby. Dabo and Jimbo that that's the list of coaches that have won a
0: national championship. So we're not
1: doing that. We're not doing bass, We're doing
0: right now is well, he that's one of why his right best up
1: there. Top five, top 10. So he's, he's, it's, he's taken down a little bit, but they I just went
0: five and seven with a super talented roster.
1: That's true. But how is that roster super talented? Maybe just money that the boosters are given, but part of it is Jimbo Fisher. He's a really good recruiter. Even before the NIL stuff, and m was signing top three top five classes. like they've been recruiting elite players consistently. and I think that that is a big part of Jimbo Fisher's job. And I think we his money, his contract is kind of we're like, oh well, he should be the best coach in the country. He's the highest paid, right? So that's how it works. But that's obviously not how it works. He's a little overpaid but he's still a really good coach. And I think a and is going to be a really good team. We forget about the 2020 year. His best year at a and was a COVID year, like where you were only playing an entire SEC schedule. Like the SEC schedule was not easier in 2020. It was the most difficult other than, other than not playing hostile environments because of the uh, social distancing and all that. But I think uh, Jimbo still has to make the top 25. And I think that are you, do you have anything to say about Jimbo?
0: Yeah, I just don't think he's a top 25 coach anymore. <laughs> like, I think what even gets him back into this is if Bobby Petrino is awesome. Like, if Bobby Petrino steps right in, then he's going to get – Jimbo's going to get credit for hiring Petrino and, like, the offense is back. Which but he like, should.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. Sure. Should he
0: not? I don't know. That's
1: his job. If if Heupel hires a, a DC and he's the best DC in college football and Tennessee's got the number one defense, then hell yeah, Josh Heupel deserves credit for that. That's his job. True. So that and the same kind of logic applied to Mario Cristobal, like he's just a recruiter and he's not a good coach. Well, you can more on Jimbo than Cristobal, a good man. percentage of his job is to get recruits. Like Oregon feels like they, you know, kind of missed an opportunity with, with USC being little down in the PAC 12. But I mean, this guy's got a lot of double digit win seasons at Oregon and he left Dan Lanning with a, hold on. A he has, he has two.
0: Cupboard. He has two. He was thirty-five and thirteen at Oregon. He was all right. Twenty-seven, forty-seven at FIU, and just went five and seven in year one at Miami.
1: The FIU, that stuff is that's that's a lifetime ago. We're not even counting that. Well, I'm not even saying it's, that. I'm just saying he like, went to you the just... coaching rehab clinic since then. Yeah, and then, but I mean, you look nine and four, 12 and two, the COVID year, and then the ten and three at Oregon. Obviously, the five and seven at Miami is not what anyone pre- uh, was prepared for, but. This was not. This was a rebuild. This Manny Diaz did not leave him a good program. Like Miami was struggling.
0: Were, Tyler Van Dyke was good? a preseason. Hold on, Tyler Van Dyke was a preseason Heisman dark horse.
1: I can't explain what happened to Tyler Van Dyke. <laughs> they that lost at
0: home to Middle Tennessee State. Matt Green, a they terrible were terrible
1: MS- last year. But it was year one. I'm not going to punish him just for year one. Oregon. Oregon was pretty much a powerhouse that he just left right there for Dan Lanning to continue. I think continue Dan Lanning moving. gets credit
0: for turning Bo Nix into a high swing quarterback and them rolling in a lot of different ways.
1: I mean, you could say that for sure, but I think, I think Miami was going to be a rebuild. You were definitely expecting the offense. Obviously the OC didn't work out in one year too. That was, and, and they're pre- pre- replacing OC and DC year this year. So it's going to be a, a big time year for Cristobal, but recruiting is a is a huge part of this guy's job and he's proven over the years to be one of the best recruiters in college football and i think that goes a long way in getting that talent to miami so i think cristobal still makes the top 20 for me
0: can't do it can't do it not in my top 25 uh the final five though uh matt Grancy, wrap up here tonight gus malzahn 21 for me Kirk Ferentz, 22, Hugh Freeze, 23, Brett Bielema, 24, and Pat Narduzzi, 25.
1: Yeah, we have a couple of the same. You had Jonathan Jonathan Smith at 19. I got him at 23, or 22. So Heipel at 21, uh, Jonathan Smith at 22, Bielema at 23, Narduzzi at 24. And then I threw Steve Sarkeesian in there at 25. Mm. And he hasn't necessarily proven to be a 25 the tw- of the top 25 head coaches in college football to this point. But I think with what Texas is doing right now, like they have we've obviously seen, seen them recruit well before, but it feels different. They feel like they're ready to, to be back as much as we all want Texas to be back. Things feel a little different with Sarkeesian right now. The Washington years were, were fine. Not great. Obviously went to Alabama and, you know, it's kind of improved since then. So I think Sarkeesian, let's say he's in a better place. And I think that that goes a long way. Um, and I think Sarkeesian in Texas, this this could be the year where they, they kind of start to take off and become, you know, what they're supposed to be.
0: Maybe. I think it, this is a big year for him. Yeah. Sarkeesian's in the top 10, depending on how this year goes. Uh, he has a lot of movement potential this year. I just... Gus bus is just the most overlooked every year. The dude's flirting with 10 wins back to back. He just jumps right into UCF UCF program, by the way, we'll see. It's a big jump to go from Hypels offense to what Gus was running there. Um, and he just hasn't really missed a beat. Nine wins back to back. Like they're moving big 12. We'll see what they do, but they're, I think, and betting odds going to the big 12. I think they're a top four projected finish. Like the dude went to two national titles, one, a national title as the offensive coordinator evolved his offense all the time um was a cup, an injury away from carry on johnson uh getting used too much down the stretch and maybe getting back for mm. one more natty like gus malzahn's a top 25 coach in the sport like he's gonna be forgotten about in the history books but i'm like gus johnson or gus johnson gus malzahn is a top 10 coach of the last 20 years in college football. gus
1: johnson will never be forgotten in the history nah. books but uh i just i feel like when you're talking good coaches what i always come back to is like Consistency, like, mm. like just knowing what you're getting, like even when, even when Georgia's offense was kind of struggling, or maybe compare it more to like a Kirk Ferentz, like at Iowa, like he which you did make your top, he didn't make my top twenty-five, like mm. you know what you're getting. It feels like this is a well-coached team. This is Kirk Ferentz has an idea of what he wants his teams to be, and that's what they do. I feel like. With Gus Malzahn, like you just had no idea what team you're getting year in year out. They're just the ultimate wild card. When he's at Auburn, I just, I feel like I can't say that guy's a good coach when I just have no idea if you're gonna win the SEC or miss a bowl game year in year out. Like I just have, I have no idea. Also, the other one also, I also miss surprised... a bowl game.
0: Hold on, when was R- Gus Malzahn missing bowl games?
1: I mean, they were losing like six games. Maybe they never missed a bowl game. Did they ever miss a bowl Put game? Put some
0: respect on his name. I don't think he ever did. No, Gus Malzahn literally never missed a bowl game as a coach. I apologize. They also lost like four or five games, like every single
1: year he was there.
0: They lost. They won two. They lost two his first year, twelve and two. After um, that year. After even that the year, 2017 they did lose at least four, yes, you are correct. 2017,
1: there. they went ten and four. Like that was the good. They they were yeah. losing four or five games almost every year. So it was four, Auburn yeah. had an absolute <laughs> gauntlet of a schedule every year. Also, so it's hard. I was surprised to see Mike Mike Norvell work mm. his way into your top 25. I feel that guy's that's a guy that's way too unproven for me.
0: I mean, he won at Memphis, and he's getting better each and every year at FSU. He's recruiting well. They Jordan Travis has developed well. Benson's developed well um he's hit the portal hard he does it all like i think he's just a riser um in a lot of different ways i think mark norvell has to be somewhere in that group i think there's one coach on here
1: that we both have ranked the same and neither of us really believe how good he is and you know who that is do you know i'm referring to pat narduzzi no pat Narduzzi. i give him his respect it's mark stoops Oh yeah, I have him at fourteen. You have him at fifteen because I feel like there's a prerequisite amount of respect. It's Kentucky. You have to put on Mark Stoops, but I just, I just, I I I'm, I can't get excited about Mark Stoops. Like it doesn't. But it's like, yeah, sure, he's a good, he's a good coach. Yeah, fine. Like I mean, if you, I'm you just, put him at Oklahoma, e- I think people me.
0: would like him a lot. Like if he was at the OU head coach.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: He's flirting with top five, top seven.
1: Yeah, and Kentucky for what they've been historically, like this is the best they've ever been. But yeah, it's something close.
0: Like he he should have a lifetime contract there.
1: Yeah, it's just it's not it's not exciting. You're not going to be able to like play that ground and pound style better than the teams that that get the best players. So but it's Kentucky. There's just such a ceiling. On-
0: like the dude is flirting. Like he's going to be predicted. Like he's a sexy pick again to go number second in the East again this year. People are going to talk themselves into ten and two Kentucky, like. That's just, the fact that Kentucky football well, well is sustainably year... good, like, they're not great every year now, but they are sustainably good. Like, the bottom fell out, and they still went to a bowl game this past year. Like, the bottom fell out. That's true. And the floor like, is still
1: making a bowl game these yeah. days.
0: And that's that's not the Kentucky we grew up with, Matt Green. That was not... Uh, it's, this is uncharted waters. This is. But
1: we grew up with the fun and gun Kentucky, so yeah. they weren't good, but they were exciting. And now it's like they're like, hey, we should try being respectable, but not exciting at all.
0: I'm actually surprised he's still there. Based <laughs> on like the feuding with Calipari and everything else, I would have thought he would have eventually been like, all right, footballs never mean number one. I think one that this could school. be
1: the beginning of the end. Like, I think there's probably he was probably never even interested in leaving. I wonder if the Calipari stuff might open the door for like someone who values football a little bit more uh, to poach him away.
0: I wonder who it is though. Who's like the best, like what's the sec job that he would leave? I don't
1: know. But yeah. Be careful what you wish for, because they're loving you winning eight, yes. nine games uh, in Lexington right now.
0: It's the best. I think it's the, he has the best job in the sec.
1: Yeah. I think you could, I mean, I, I understand why you would say that other than the fact that you have no chance of winning anything. Like I feel mm. like somewhere like, I don't know, Arkansas, like, Kentucky definitely has a higher floor, but mm. it feels like Arkansas. They
0: definitely have a higher ceiling.
1: They could catch fire and who knows. They but they're close to, the to Texas. They can, recruit,
0: they can recruit well enough to win a national. Yeah,
1: game. that's what I mean. But Kentucky has the higher floor and the yes. lower expectations. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we're just happy over here making bowl games. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple honorable mentions. Sam Pittman, Dave Claussen, Dave Doran, Lance Leopold. They didn't make my list.
0: Dave Doran's a good one. Lance Leipold, I, think, I want to see one more year. I he does you it back, and back and years. there. Yeah. Um, no, if Lance Leipold has another 6-7 win year at Kansas, I'll put him in. Give me one more year, Lance.
1: Yeah. And Brett Bielema. I think uh, we both had him sneaking in the top 25. I think he's yeah. a guy who doesn't um, doesn't get enough as much credit as he deserves.
0: Very consistent. He reminds me of the defensive Gus Malzahn. Or That dude's just going to – he'll never win. Like, he's just – he's going to be solid wherever he goes. Illinois, Arkansas, Wisconsin – you can put Gus at UCF, Auburn, I think Idaho. He, He's going to he win eight or nine games. The top
1: twenty-five for me because at yeah. Wisconsin it was a kind of a deal of he didn't build this program. He kind of kept it going, and mm. but he did keep it going for a while. He was there for what five, six, seven years. Um, the Arkansas wasn't great, but he had some competitive years. But kind of breaking through this year with Illinois, them being kind of a surprise team in the Big Ten. I think that kind of. You just know what his identity is, and mm. and he's just he's a he's a quality head coach
0: for sure. Well, that was fun, Matt Green.
1: Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep track of this and see uh, see how how wrong we are. I feel like ten. I just knew like ten was gonna be cool, but we we're just gonna agree way too much for ten. We had to we had to go all twenty five, so I could disrespect Josh Heupel as much as possible.
0: Well, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, matt green thanks for keeping it classy on this program um it sounds scared it sounds like a 100 million dollars scared it sounds like the spire sports scared number one and most ambitious collective number one college oh
1: we're just making things up for tennessee to be number one and now they i mean they can't all all be number one in any of these sports so they're just gonna make up lists for them to be number one in
0: we didn't make it up All three <laughs> put it out there that's not me i'm just reporting the news I am just reporting the news, Matt Green. For that guy down there, in Tequila, Georgia. Matt Green. For myself, up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all we've got. And we'll be back with a new college football episode next week. Uh, previews coming soon and all that good stuff. Because uh, the season will be here before you know it. So we'll have that uh, for you on this very show. So look out for that full ride each and every week on Thursday. So appreciate y'all listening and all that good stuff. And I will talk to y'all next week. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, we're back here on the Chase Holmes podcast, taping this on a Wednesday evening. First timer, Jesse. I didn't even ask you before, but I've read you now for three years since I moved up here for grad school. Mm -hmm. And in my head, because I've read you, it's Jesse Smithy. But I've never actually heard your name said out. No, it's
2: uh, yeah, Smithy. Um, Smithy is how I always tell people on the phone just Smith with a e y on the end, but. Man, it's been mispronounced and misspelled my whole life, so I don't take offense to it. I never really have. It's just kind of one of those things that you bear when you have a different last name, so it's all good, man.
0: Do you know what it is? I There's the Bra- I'm Braves guy, Drew Smiley. Okay. Jesse, Smithy, Jesse Smiley. Like there's people see it, the I and
2: then the E there, and so it just kind of naturally throws people off, so it's just, again, there's not too many of us out there, so uh, I'm happy to educate any time.
0: You've got to be the only Smithy in Tennessee. Uh, Smithy in Tennessee. Yeah. It's,
2: uh, you know, my brother lives up here, so you know, he's got his kids, and they're super involved in sports. So hopefully as our families grow, and I have a couple kids that are kind of growing up, so hopefully as our families grow and we populate, Knox County people become more and more familiar with it.
0: How does that work covering high school football and high school sports in general with kids? Are you going to change it all with uh, if your kids get into sports and they grow up? Or would you cover your kids?
2: No, I think I always try to follow the newspaper route. I came mm. through, I uh, came through journalism up through the newspaper realm, and so at that point you kind of recuse yourself. Mm. from certain events or certain games if your son or your daughter is involved so i think if i ever get to that point my son right now is just 9 years old but to turn mm. 10 this fall so i still have some time it's not
0: that far off though yeah not
2: that far still some time maybe 3 or 4 years to kind of figure that plan out uh, but my daughter is going to be in high school this year and so we'll kind of get a test run of it there mm. figure out what i can cover what i can't cover but i always try to treat everybody fairly uh, mm-hmm. balanced reporting again, just kind of old school newspaper journalism. And if there's a conflict of interest, I'll kind of step aside.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. That's, that's interesting. that's something I think about. Cause I'm, I go and uh, like Tennessee for me, I mean, I'm a grad and fan, mm-hmm. but also just, I think with high school, one of the things I love about covering high school especially moving up here to Easton Sea like I'm from Parveview originally uh, stone Mountain Lowburn, where Jeff Frank Corwin and like I grew up watching high school powerhouse football where Parvey mm-hmm. won state three years in a row when I'm in like elementary school <laughs> into middle school and you get conditioned when I'm just obsessed taking notes and like they go I think they won 56 games in a row I want to yeah. say before they finally wow. lost it was something crazy um like that and you, you just kind of get the buck when you're in the South and you you grow up watching a bunch of high school football, going to high school football games, and it just matters so much more down here. And people are always blown away if they are from Missouri, you're from Nebraska, California, wherever. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. And I think uh, I was so curious when I moved up here, like how East Tennessee would approach high school football, because I still covered and watched it so much back uh, in Georgia and like class seven mm-hmm. a is just an absolute animal in its own right in um, Georgia, but like it's it's strong here in East Tennessee, and I think five star preps and what you do uh, goes a long way in those feeling. We'll talk about rivalry Thursday and all that. But how much have you seen? Because I've only been here for three years uh, in person. How much have you seen Knoxville expand and eat? Not even just Knoxville, but East Tennessee grow as a product for high school football um, since you first. Uh, yeah, got Chase,
2: the I, yeah, Chase, I've been lucky to see it really reach its peak, and there mm. were. I grew up in West Tennessee, kind of around the Jackson, Tennessee area, and I moved to East Tennessee around 1997 to go to school at UT and then got into uh, newspapers at the Knoxville News Center around 2002. And right Mm. around that turn of the century uh, into into 2000, we started seeing Maryville, Mm. Alcoa take their football programs to a different level. Yeah, they'd won championships in the past, and and people knew and respected the Maryville and Alcoa names, but they weren't winning year after year after year after year. Like what happened uh, between those two Blount County programs from about 2000, when Alcoa is still going, but Maryville was mm-hmm. going to slow down a little bit. But for a while, it was just – you could just go ahead and, and Sharpie them in as state champions every year from about 02 was when – Alcoa really started to kind of find its stride. Maribel mm-hmm. found it in two thousand and they just really haven't slowed down. So as their programs ascended and, and reached a, a new level, those around them had to pick up their game and push themselves to a different level just to be able to compete. And so we've seen the web school of Knoxville's of the world, the Catholics of the world, Fultons, uh, become have have really strong I guess four to six year runs, and mm. you know maybe take a cycle down and then peak back up. So it's it's really grown in Knox County and the surrounding counties over the last two two and a half decades as I've been able to to come into journalism and cover it. So like I said, I've been really blessed to see it uh, become what it has. Um, I think always had the potential to be, and there's many reasons for that. If you want to get into that or not, but it's uh it's it's been fun to watch East Tennessee become if not the most respected area of the state when it comes to high
0: school football. Yeah. I feel like you have the powerhouses still in West and central and you would know this more than me. And then I just feel like East Tennessee's the deepest mm-hmm. out of the three regions. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean, again, Fulton's kind of on a downtick right now, but uh, for a good two decades, they were always in the mix. Greenville's mm-hmm. right there. Uh, Elizabethan's right there. Uh, of course, like we talked about Alcoa and, and Maryville, but uh, there have been various 5A programs, whether it's been Powell or Central mm. or, or West High School that have taken turns winning state championships. And the the thing that we're missing right now are those Class 1A and Class 2A teams
0: mm.
2: being able to grow their programs and sustain their programs to a point where they can compete for state championships. Greenback has gotten there a couple times, and they've won one in, in, every now and then, but uh, for the most part, 1A and 2A currently are, are the classifications in East Tennessee that are kind of trying to catch up with the rest of the state.
0: Would you change anything about the classifications if you were in charge? Like, you you may, look, Jesse Smithy is the new TSS, or T, y'all say double TSS. TSSAA, yeah. Yeah, it, it, they say it so fast that I'm like, I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, if you were the new czar of it, how would you change the classifications? Yeah, I, I
2: think... We can all agree that nine classifications in Tennessee is too much. Is it great that some of these teams are winning state championships for the first time ever because things have kind of got stretched out and there's more opportunity for them to slide in Mm -hmm. to a semifinals or a state final? Yeah, that's great. But nine classifications is too much for Tennessee. Just the way it's 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 built, the way the amount of schools in the state. But as somebody on the Board of Control told me, it's always hard for them to go backwards hmm. at the TSSAA. There's just so much money involved, so much infrastructure that's involved that, yeah, they can put a plan in place and say that we'd like to. And, and I've been in some of those TSSAA meetings, Chase, where a Bernard Childress, who used to be the executive director, would come in before the Board of Control and say, look, we at the TSSAA are recommending this five classification plan in division one and this two classification plan in division two where the private schools are. Mm. And that's all well and good, but it's all up to the board of control what they decide. And right now they haven't, they haven't made the decision to reverse course and reduce the amount of classifications in this state. Um, But if it were me, I'd I'd love to go back to five classifications in division one. I'd love to go back to two classifications in division two, how we divvy up all those schools—that's another conversation. But I think nine right now is way, way too many.
0: And then when you have like, my wife went to Oak Ridge, so I go to, and I've gotten to know the Oak Ridge program pretty well over the last couple of years. And like, they made the playoffs at like three and seven a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are we doing? What, what are we doing when that's happening? And yeah, no, it's not—I'm no, no. not singling out Oak Ridge, but yeah. like, the playoff system. Just a lot of people are making the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how we get to a point where we can avoid one and nine, three and seven teams. Mm. Uh, even when there were five classifications in Division one, you would and so the top four teams from each region would advance. Well ultimately mm. you're gonna get that fourth seed who happened to win the right game at the right time and they're two and eight, but they won two conference games and they're in the playoffs. So mm. I don't now know how we get to a point where we can totally eradicate those but that would help reduce the amount of teams with losing records. But uh, again, ultimately just how teams are divided up amongst the state and uh, the outlying schools being where they are. Some of those teams are always just going to sneak in no matter what classification uh, model you use.
0: Maybe you and I just need to tag team this, Jesse, we go in there and we're just like, Hey, look, um, we're, we're taking over. Y'all can't come to a solution here, but all the fans are going to agree with us. There's not a parent out there who's like, this is awesome. I'm glad we have a crazy amount of classifications and everyone's making the playoffs. Like, I, I think that's a universal approval rating. I don't even know why that would take so long. People want yeah,
2: it. You're seeing it in basketball, too. You know, they stretched yeah. out in Division One from three classes up to four now, whether it's baseball or basketball, what have you. And so all these teams are like, yeah, we're going to State for the first time since— 1976. And it's because, again, they stretch things out mm-hmm. a little bit. It's a little bit more watered down. But nevertheless, these communities and players are getting opportunities they'd never had before. Yeah. And so fans, parents, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, there's too many teams. Let's go back. But for people that in the media that have to deal with it year after year after year, you see the pros and cons of it. And I just think there's too too many cons right now. We Hopefully someday we'll kind of reduce it back down a little bit.
0: Based on you talking to a lot of the coaches, what do you think their biggest, uh, not maybe not gripe is too negative a word, but what do you think they, the most common thing that they would want changed universally on the coaches' rank would be? Anything that's going
2: to reduce their travel mm. and their travel costs, that's always in the conversation, Chase. Whether mm. it's, they they invented this thing called the Z plan back in 2009, and mm. it was going to be a way to, reduced travel costs uh, in the playoffs and you wouldn't have to you know bust it two or three hours well, It didn't work and teams are still having to travel uh, X amount of hours or X amount of miles to play a playoff football game and and people hated that and it's just it's never for the most part gotten better mm-hmm. and especially for your your high level high elite teams people here don't want to play them in mm-hmm. week one, in week two. And so you might see an Alcoa I have to travel to Murfreesboro just to fill a week one game or a uh, Maryville travel way out of the way to, to fill a week one or week two non-conference game or non-region game. So anything that can help reduce the travel footprint for a lot of these big time teams is always a topic of conversation, a hot topic of conversation uh, when it comes to football, whether it comes to basketball, what have you travel costs can pile up really fast. You're talking about loading up a couple of charter buses, feeding your kids, you know, paying certain things, certain fees, bus fees, travel fees. And so uh, that's, that always hits the budget pretty hard.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, when you look, and I always think about is like, now in Georgia, and a lot of these powerhouse schools are flying all over the country for a couple of games outside, mm-hmm. and it's like they have – different rules for different programs and some can afford it, but most uh, cannot do that. And it's hard sometimes to even schedule some folks, like some folks just don't want to play. Like I didn't realize how hard it is sometimes to really fill out a schedule. And you talk Mm -hmm. to some of these coaches and it's, it's difficult.
2: Well, a lot of coaches are now are just settling for a nine game regular season instead of beating their brains in trying to find that 10th game, they're mm-hmm. going, say, hey, let's take an extra, extra rest week. Let's get our bodies prepared. These kids are doing more year-round. Mm. And so who knows, maybe having that extra week during the season instead of just your one off week or your one bye week, maybe having that second week off, only playing nine games. Yeah, it's not very traditional, and it's not very Friday night lights, You know, kids giving their all on Friday nights, playing 10 games, but it helps sustain your program and keeps your guys fresher for longer.
0: Interesting. Is there any big name who is doing nine games this fall off the top of your head?
2: Webb has done it quite often. Mm. Uh, now, Dave mesky their head coach, is no longer there. He retired. He's mm. a legend. We'll see if that trend changes. Uh, but we've seen Alcoa go late into the summer with maybe only nine games and pick up a tenth mm. out of state in Kentucky or something. Shoot, a few years ago, they played, just to fill out their schedule, they played two games in three days. <laughs> two high school football games in three days now that's unheard of yeah and that was maybe a decade ago i can't remember exactly what year it was but gary rankin uh, the head coach at the time at alcoa had to get everything approved they did it tactfully and they were playing a team in the first game that they like, could play their number one guys for a quarter corner quarter, yeah. half, rest them come back two days later and play them for another half but it took a lot of planning and tactful moves and everything. But it's like you said, man, it's hard to fill out a 10 game schedule sometimes and people will do anything to do
0: it or to possibly avoid it. Who do you think gets more wins over the next 10 years? Coach Hunt or Coach Nix?
2: Wow. I, th- I think Alcoa where they're set up in their classification in 3A hmm. and with the amount of players that continue to funnel into that program I think where Alcoa is right now with that in 3A versus Maribel, where they are in 6A with the likes of Oakland, who has become a huge obstacle for them over the last 6 inevitable. to 8 years. I would say Alcoa probably probably gets more wins. But Alcoa has done a really good job of beefing up their schedule mm. under Coach Nix. And and that's not saying that Gary Rankin was ducking people because, again, they went out of state play played teams for Kentucky that beat them. Or they mm. go to... Murphy's borough and play a six eighteen, but the the schedule that Brian Nix has has put together for this year is super demanding. So hmm. who knows? I mean they're they're loaded to possibly go ten and no in the regular season, but it wouldn't surprise me if they drop a game or two just because it's that again, it's that tough.
0: Yeah. Both super likable dudes. I, I like them both yeah. a lot. I've had them both in the program. And uh yeah, I'm very interested to see because Marival looked uh, like they were rolling. I mean, I, I think they had robbery Thursday last year against Powell and really beat Powell's brains in. They're just slow and prodding. Like they play a very different style and then they get banged up and their season kind of got away from them. But it's hard to get a read on uh, what mariville would have been if they were healthy all year long.
2: Yeah, I, and that was, a, that was a that was a tough year for mariville last year. And I think mm-hmm. they extracted everything out of that football team that they could yeah. get and at the end of the day, whether they're running back Uh, got hurt or not i still think that was a team that was put together to possibly make it to the semifinals but Mm. probably weren't good enough to beat oakland and so yeah they lost three games in the in the regular season for the first time since it might have been 2000 if i remember correctly Mm. but at the end of the day those coaches got everything they were supposed to get to out of get out of that team even with the obstacles thrown in their way with injuries and what have you
0: I agree. I think they're in good hands. I think they're going to be fine. It's just winning matters at Mirabel. You, you yeah. know this. Like it's a it's a different kind of beast over there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at what West did last year, because they were, I mean, just uh, I highly encourage folks to go check out uh, the documentary that you've put mm-hmm. together. Um, the series, uh, four parts total, correct? Uh,
2: just three parts. We might like throw a fourth part out there with some blooper reels and okay, extra yeah, footage yeah. and stuff. But right now, just a three-part documentary on YouTube.
0: And it's great. Uh, I love the final chapter. And I've had Lamar, uh, Coach Lamar Brown on. And mm-hmm. he's a super nice guy. Yeah. Just a super easy guy to root for. Mm-hmm. Um, But I would imagine, like, for me, when I... It, like, it was kind of surprising that this was the first for West. And that this was such a big deal for them. And you see what it meant for this and this program. And um, their rise. And it felt like all year long. I don't think it ever felt when I was talking to other coaches or just, like, previewing looking around that, like, West was a favorite to win the title. And they just kept hanging around and they just kept hanging around and then it was like oh they're just gonna do this thing they're actually just gonna go ahead and finish is that how you felt going in the year and how the year progressed we
2: we felt like there was potential we knew their defense was gonna be otherworldly like you could go out to their scrimmages and just see the guys look it's not Mm -hmm. hard to see college players on a high school field And you look at that guy and you go, yep, he's going to play on Saturdays." That guy's going to play on Saturday. So you saw the defensive ability of West High School, even dating back to 2021. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have that confidence, that push on offense that they needed in 2021 to overcome Powell. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Powell goes on to win a 5A championship in 2021. Yes, they lose Walter Nolan, the defensive lineman, who ended up signing with Texas A&M, but they bring back their quarterback, who's a Mr. Football Finals. They bring back two or three wide receivers that are getting college offers left and right. And you see the running backs that they have and go, mm-hmm. okay, well, if this is Powell's title to lose. If there's a team that could possibly beat them, it's West, just because, number mm-hmm. one, defense. And as you mentioned, they just started kind of hanging around the season in 2022, winning some games and doing it in the impressive fashion. And you see their running game with Braden Latham just mm-hmm. become – just really difficult to stop and that offensive line gelling together and uh it was just one of those stories of team chemistry and right. unity and guys believing in each other and just and it's all comes across in that documentary just how fun those guys are to be around there's no prima donnas there's no team cancers and to see a team like that kind of its demons and win it all uh, it's a really emotional tale that you get to see there on youtube so it's their first ever undefeated season they'd won a state championship before yeah. back in 2014 but for this group Maybe on two, uh, yeah. this the, the label was okay are, are we going to be able to get there with this team and they proved mm-hmm. their doubters wrong
0: yeah and i think uh my question too is like when you look uh, going forward because like you said they were kind of close and you're like they could if everything comes together based on what they did in 2021 the defense is going to be there the offense putting it together is this now a sustainable juggernaut in their classification do you think west has the people has the resources have the talent pipeline do you think this is sustainable not like championship or bust every year mm-hmm. but should they be in that like this should be more of the norm um and being in those final four final eight uh, most years
2: Right. This goes all the way back to the Scott Cummings years. Uh, they yeah. built that program from the youth system down. So, yeah, people are, and, and even me included, there's going to be some question marks. They lose mm-hmm. their quarterback. They lose Braden Latham. They lose his twin brother, Caden Latham. They lose Jaquarius Wren. There's so many key components and superstar players from that championship year that people are going to say, oh, you know, what's this team going to be? But if you look at the course of, of that program over the last 10 years, you see where the trend is going. Mm-hmm. And I think Lamar Brown is always going to be a defensive first guy. So they have some big-time players coming back on defense. So that defense will carry them. I think you'll see West at a minimum in the third round of the 5A playoffs yet again this year. And then how far they can possibly go is going to be depending on how quickly their quarterback race is decided and hmm. how some of these new guys play over the first three or four weeks of the season,
0: do you see Bearden catching him anytime soon?
2: <clears throat> Bearden's in a different classification; they're in six A.
0: Well, no, I'm just saying, like in terms of like ju- like their ride. Yeah. just arrived, like this in that area. Do you think Coach Jones is going to be able yeah, to get Bearden I, I, to that? I
2: point? think so. I mean, you're seeing him. You you saw that Bearden team exceed expectations last mm. year, uh, nearly winning a region championship, and then you know making it a couple rounds in the six A playoffs. He did that with a lot of young kids last year, Mm. and a lot of those young kids look bigger and stronger and faster this preseason, and they've had a a big-time running back from Purdue transfer into Knoxville. He transferred back in January, and uh, Jaheim Merriweather. I got a chance to see him a little bit in the preseason, and that's a guy that's just going to wear people down over four quarters. Just the way he's built his frame, he's like a baby Derrick Henry. He's not even close to the amount of poundage that Derrick Henry has, but the style is the same. That north and south, strong, uh, lower lower body strength is just going to pound people. And uh, Josh Jones knows what to do with that.
0: What year is he? Is he a junior or senior?
2: Uh, he'll be a senior this year. So he okay. comes over from Gallatin over in Middle Tennessee and uh, looking to finish off his prep career with a with a bang. And uh, I definitely think that. I mean, they have him and they have a couple other guys that are – can bounce it out on the outside. So a nice blend of talent and beard. And so, yeah, I definitely think beard is getting to that point where you're going to see them second, third, fourth round or beyond uh, many times.
0: Last thing on Wes, what was the coolest part about uh, filming the series and what coolest nugget that uh, when you're even putting the videos together and getting it ready, like what, what did, what did you find that you're probably going to look at? You're like, that was, that was a cool little thing.
2: No, the, I can't take credit. For the series, there's a guy named Sam Scott who mm. used to work for VFL Films. He and I sat down uh, at a local establishment, Dead End Barbecue, that Very happens good. to be right across the street from West High School, about a year ago. And we said, let's, let's take a look at some of these teams who we think may win a state title. Mm. And we both agreed that West could be one of those special stories. He has a brother who coaches at West, so that kind of gave him some ins and some an in into the locker mm. room. Uh, you know, I've known Lamar Brown for a while, and so Sam has done a number of projects for us. They're all just unbelievable quality, and mm. so he and I brainstorm, we talk, and I can just send him out. So he'd probably be better apt to answer that question more than anything, mm. but to me, when he sends me those rough cuts and I get to watch them and edit them a little bit or make some suggestions, it's again, it's just the, the chemistry and the bond on that team, mm. and I've been around it just from a reporter's perspective perspective and talking with guys after games or being on the sidelines and it's just that hollywood fairy tale type of bonding that you have between kids of all nationalities all races all education levels all how how rich their family is or how poor their family is they all got along Mm. and i never once saw bickering on the sidelines i had players come up to me and thank me for coming which never happens at, g- <laughs> at games or scrimmages and mm. it's just a different team and i'm going to remember that team for a long time
0: i like that and mm. that's um a testament to what coach lamar has built right like yeah. he's built that uh culture and it's a culture that seems like it's going to last right um, for the long haul which is which is good um That's cool. I feel like the one uh, just jumping off the page, uh, not to this is just a content idea, Jesse. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, I I mean, I think I might be there for this. The first game back for Gibbs home football game after having to go a full year of all on the road, which is just insane. um, Mm -hmm. The mess that that has turned out to be and talking to folks over there. Just I mean, I couldn't imagine seniors having to go through that this past year um having to travel you, we talk about travel costs like going to carson newman for yeah. home games i mean just a really really rough year for those kids like that first game back a cool video like uh, that i imagine is gonna be pretty special this fall
2: I th- you know it's a good idea we do something during the fall again that sam scott does mm. called game film mm. and he'll go tell a story like that on a friday night and one of those that we actually did was him following gibbs on their senior night up in Carson Newman
1: mm. and,
2: and how they were able to honor seniors. And so he rode the bus with them up there, and uh, I think they had some special jerseys or helmets that night. And so he mm. was there in the locker room when the kids came in and saw him for the first time. Gibbs did a really good job, or the people of Coryton, Tennessee, mm. did a fantastic job of making those kids feel as special as they could all year long without having home games. So you're right. That first home game back, it's going to be a party up in Coryton, and I, I can't wait
0: for it absolutely um you want to do some rapid fire questions sure all right um knoxville school and knoxville i'm gonna say because i gets it's confusing people are like is that knoxville metropolitan because like oak ridge is considered a knoxville school even though mm-hmm. it's Anderson county like i don't know where the line is technically i'm not okay. uh, i'm not from here you can th- throw a school out here if it's you think it's too far i don't know what is too far uh i'll say like Pigeon Forge is probably too far. I'll say that's not a Knox school. Like, we'll okay. we'll say that's not ne- Knoxville Metropolitan. Shout out to Pigeon Forge though in the wing tee <laughs> that they got running over there. Yep. But what school um, in the Knoxville Metropolitan area are you sneaky high on coming into the year? Sneaky high on coming into this year.
2: That's that's tough. Uh, I'll, I'll, even though we we deemed Pigeon Forge to be too far, uh I might go farther. Like GP Gatlinburg okay. Pittman is. It's that team that I just keep seeing. They they have guys that are, that are committed to Illinois. They have mm. guys that are committed to Wake Forest. And, yeah, they play in 3A against Alcoa, but there were times in that Alcoa game last year where they were throwing bombs on Alcoa, mm. scoring in the first half. And, and so we'll see if that program can take another step. I still think it's Alcoa in 3A, mm. but Gatlinburg-Pittman is going to be a very, very fun team to watch this year.
0: I like it. Um, speaking of Gatlinburg-Pittman, I think the new head coach at Oak Ridge, Derek Ring, was, yeah, he had a stop at Gatlinburg. Yeah. So how do you think he'll fare in
2: year I, one? I think he'll do well. He's coached in places like Oak Ridge before. Again, very regimented guy. He's, he's won at every place he's been, whether it's been Powell, whether it's been Gatlinburg-Pittman, whether it's been out of state, in state, West Tennessee, wherever. Mm. His style of coaching works. And mm-hmm. it travels. And so whether it's at Oak Ridge, a place with a ton of tradition, or it's some school over in West Tennessee with no tradition, he's going to get it done. And he's got pieces in place. He's got one of the better running backs this year, and DeJalvis Dozier, mm-hmm. a senior running back who ran for over 1,000 yards last year. So I think he'll do well.
0: He's good. I'm not sure. Do you think it's going to be Ethan Garza as the quarterback again this year? He came in late or because Peyton yeah, started. Had, I don't know who had, the quarterback is.
2: Yeah, they had a quarterback situation there last year where they had to – kind of get a guy off the team just for a a few reasons i I won't go into on camera but and so they were kind of left with two or three guys trying them out then they had Mm. some injuries and so it was just one of those perfect storm seasons for for oak ridge i do know they have a sophomore a rising sophomore that has a lot of talent so Mm. it could be Garza's job there to start with and who knows we'll see if another guy has worked in
0: yeah He's fast. He was good on rollouts and off the line struggled. And he was able to at least move around in the pocket and do some stuff to keep them in the games. Um, Who do you think this, uh, have to go a little negative sneaky low on that you've heard some people kind of high on. And you're like, I don't know about them this, just this year in particular that you might sell on. I'll
2: watch Anderson County Hmm. Uh, um, state champions. I'm not saying they're, they're not going to be good this year, but I'm interested to see, okay, you've gotten to the plateau now. Can you, can you stay around there? Yeah, and, and they lose Walker Martinez, who was our offensive player of the year, threw for over four thousand yards. You lose Bryson Bowell, a guy who is six three, six four. You lost some guys on the line. You lost a, a, a just a beast of a running back. Now they've gotten a new quarterback transfer in Isaiah yeah. Hall from Jefferson County. Lightning arm. I mean, I've seen this kid for three, four years. And so how quickly they can get him adjusted and they have another brutal schedule. So uh, it's just a team that I'm going to watch. I'm not saying they're going to dip down, but I'm saying I'm watching them just to see if they can stay up.
0: He was good for, cause I think they played on our Thursday against, um, uh, who was it last year? The um, Might've been
2: Farragut. I feel like I, there was a Farragut game that was on TV.
0: They might've been uh, Farragut, but the one, it was the opener the, actually. Oh
2: yeah. The opener at so, Sevier County.
0: Severe County. Yeah. Yeah. And, Underrated. I might say that that is the most underrated high school football stadium in East Tennessee. Very much. That view when the sun is setting. You don't want to
2: walk to the top of the stadium at at Sevier County. Yeah, it's a beautiful view. You're going to see all kinds of mountains. Yep. But you need like an oxygen tank to get up that (sighs) thing. I mean, my hands are on my knees when I get up there, just bent over, catching Mm. my breath. But it's it's worth the view, but I wouldn't recommend it.
0: Also, the parking's a little insane over there. Uh it is like different. your car, you you like us media types, we're not getting the the good spots, Jesse. You're not we're getting, part, yeah, yeah,
2: you're not getting close to the stadium unless you get there at about five o'clock.
0: No, but it's a it's a cool vibe, and I like their uniforms. I like the the purple; yeah. and it's a good look. Uh, but no, he was good, and the, and like that transfer. And it's how weird is it in high school football in 2023? It was naturally going to happen that transfers were going to happen yeah. at the high school level, but you just hear it out loud, like transfer from uh, Jefferson County to uh, to Anderson County. That's just so weird.
2: I try not to report them all. I try to yeah be I take good judgment on that. Mm-hmm. If it's a high-impact transfer, then, yeah, we'll report them. But there's so many that, that yeah. go unreported that we just kind of make a mental note of and, and maybe mention it in the story somewhere down the line. But it's happening more and more. It's high school football is becoming a microcosm of the college game mm-hmm. with the transfers, with the NIL money uh, being av- available now in high school in Tennessee. It's just what they see the older brothers do. You know, They're doing right now in high school.
0: Man, that's gonna be weird. Uh, getting used to. Um, best 2023 rivalry Thursday matchup is which one for you?
2: Man, I, uh, that's tough. I'd have to see a schedule. Mm, I'd have to see a schedule on that chase. I, I'm I'm not too familiar with uh, with Mark Packer's schedule this year. So if I can if I can pass on on one of your rapid fire questions, this would have to be it. You
0: can pass, okay. uh, but I will say that I think Beard and West at West is on the schedule.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, that one was, came to the top of mind because it's early in the season, if I if I remember correctly. Oh, I
0: have it in front of you. I got the whole yeah. thing. Here's okay. the rapid fire. We can do this quick. You can Go tell ahead. me which one jumps out the most to you. You ready? Yeah. Camden County at, or Campbell County at Halls, Beard and at West. That's a Saturday. Uh, Carter at Anderson. Uh, I don't know what AE is. Carter at uh, Austin East. Austin Ace. Uh Powell at Oak Ridge, Alcoa at Greenville, Clinton at Powell, Farragut at Bearden, Anderson County at Clinton, um, Morristown West at Sevier County, Jefferson County at Farragut, Central at Heritage.
2: Look, at first you, you had us, you had me in the first half, at Bearden West, <laughs> but then I forgot everything after you, th- everything you said after you said Alcoa-Greenville. When you have Alcoa going on mm. the road to Greenville – I mean, that community is bonkers for football. It would love to knock off an Alcoa and really signal that Greenville football is back. Mm. They won some state championships there for a while, 2017, 2018. And Elizabethan kind of took their cookies there. And so uh, that Greenville program really wants to show that Eddie Spradlin has it going where it needs to be. So that's going to be a raucous environment. That's going to be a fun one.
0: Yeah, I think y'all did a video a couple years ago where you showed their they do tailgating yeah. hardcore cuz I think I remember yeah, them grilling out and all that. Like it's a whole it's, deal.
2: It's big time up in Greenville and it, it probably doesn't even though they've won maybe four state championships in the last 15 years, they don't get the respect statewide as they should. And I think again, mm-hmm. Tennessee's long if some people can't <laughs> see past Knoxville, but that Greenville program is legit. They have resources, they have facilities, and they have athletes.
0: I like it. Uh final two here, Jesse. Um but uh wow, I just combined two. Best player in Knoxville metro area this fall will end up being who? Shavar Young. Oh, okay. This a kid sophomore? is just
2: a sophomore.
0: Yeah. He's
2: played two years of high school football already. He has offers from everybody in the country, Alabama, Michigan, Tennessee, whatever you want. Mm. He is going to be one of the best players to ever come out of Knox County. Oh wow. Or possibly the state. I mean this guy is Elite, and so he's going to be able to do whatever he wants to do with the football this year. Man. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that he is that different.
0: Do you think what will be good? Do you think it'll be a seamless transition, Coach? Coach Wise,
2: I, I, I do. Uh, you know, Don Mahoney is a guy that's coached in college. He's coached in the high school ranks. He was on that staff a year ago uh, at Webb. So mm. uh, there are a lot of the same assistant coaches there that have been there at Webb. Yes, they lose uh, Mr. Football Caliber quarterback and Charlie Robinson, but uh, they have two more guys waiting in the wings that are equally talented and can throw the football, I think, a little bit better than Charlie Robinson could. So when you have Marquise Barrett out wide on one side and you have Shavar Young out wide on the other side, it's pick your poison, and they're not going to be able to, to stop Shavar Young 10 weeks out of the regular season.
0: I like it. Uh, final question here for you. Most interesting new coaching hire this cycle was who for you?
2: <sighs> new coaching hire. Hmm. I'm trying to remember all the guys that we have. We didn't have too much. I think the year before we had a ton of turnover in East Tennessee. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm going to go to somebody we've already talked about in Derek Rain, hmm. um just because of the Oak Ridge brand and then his ability to win again, everywhere he's been. Maryland too, right? Didn't he go to sal- Maryland? They are salivating yeah. for a state championship at Oak Ridge. I mean, it's been well over thirty years. Joe Gaddis almost got him back there. The legendary yeah. coach there. That he's was a COVID year, there. right? Yeah, he's still mm-hmm. out there at, o- at at Oak Ridge. He's AD. He's a football guy, as we know. He's going to give Derek Ring everything he needs to get that program to the state championship level. So, year number one, Derek Ring is going to going to raise some eyebrows. I think
0: they have talent. Pretty good schedule. Yeah.
2: You got Brandon Hayward out there, wide receiver, defensive back. Again, we talked about uh, Dozier at running back. Uh, We'll see what they can do up front. That's where a, a lot of things happen, obviously, naturally in the game of football. So solidify that line up front, and everything else
0: will fall in place for Oak Ridge. There you go. Jesse, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Five Star Preps this week?
2: Yeah, so we're just coming out of dead period very, very soon. Uh, June, Ju- excuse me, July 10th, Monday will be the first day for programs out of uh, hibernation. <laughs> uh, teams will start getting acclimated to the heat. They'll start doing some seven on seven. So check out five starpreps.com. We're going to have a, a seven on seven schedule for everybody in the area where you can check out some of these teams uh, playing in seven on seven tournaments or just mm. one on ones. And then late in the summer, around July, we'll start doing scrimmages, and so we'll have schedules for that. We'll be doing previews for football all summer long on the website, so check that out. Sign up for a membership and and get going.
0: There you go. I mean, it'll be here before you know it. We're July fifth over here, man. Like it's yeah, going mean, to be here. Yeah, media day
2: is is July fourteenth, and so we'll have about forty or fifty teams show up and just talk football all day long for about four or five hours. So it's to me, it's already it's already here. Football season's here. My summer's over
0: there you go well good luck jesse um it's going to be another fun year uh you're doing great work with the team over at five star preps and i wish you the best and we'll uh have to talk again soon yeah man appreciate you having me on awesome thanks jesse
2: nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah